The university itself is an occult institution. It's a medieval institution. It's about mysteries. Hey, everybody. This is your buddy Basil here. And this is Gons, the other buddy. Your, your buddy Gonzel. Gonzel. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, here we are. We're here again. This is another episode. This is great. This is great. This is probably the most frequent episode situation we've had in a while. And uh, let me tell you, this one's going to be a doozy. Yeah, there's uh, some things we want to say at the top here. And yeah. um Yes. Yeah. So this this was a, a very interesting episode. As we go through, I mean, especially in the beginning, you'll you'll get it right away. This is a, a new a new type of guest. We've we've had some non Christians on before. This is one of them. This is the most recent because it's the most recent episode. Man, I'm on a roll tonight. And so yeah, just just a couple things to look out for. Uh, I think at the beginning we had a couple little times where we bleeped a couple things out, and that's just for you. Um, nothing too bad, but you know, if you listen with the kids, maybe skip forward, uh, what do you say? Five minutes gone? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. You know, just t- test the waters a little bit. It shouldn't be more than five minutes. Um, oh, and if you hear that, that's actually a cat. That is, a. uh, <laughs> there's a new addition to my life. I have inherited a cat. A second and, one. Um, a, Yo, yes, oh, you're yeah, loud. Yep. Yes, you're a loud kitty. Yeah, so I have a second cat. I haven't made an official you're announcement. You're becoming but I, the creepy cat guy. I know, this is what I was saying, and I can't believe this is where this intro is going, but <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Uh, yeah, you know, I my whole theory was, you know, I, I'm a guy, I have a cat. That's fine, just a guy with a cat. No no huge problems. But as soon as you're a guy with two cats, you're then the <laughs> you're cat guy. Down you're the, the crazy cat man. Um, so yeah, so I'm an, I'm an official crazy cat man. I got to say, just in my defense, I did not purchase this cat on purpose with the idea of getting another cat. You know, some sometimes the cat life chooses you. I didn't choose the cat life. Cat, cat life chose me. Um, so, yeah. So, I say all this uh, because the cat, I don't know. I haven't made up a name, an internet name for him yet. But, okay. Or her. But uh, she, she'll be revealed later. Um, but, yeah, she does make a couple appearances in the episode in the background. Uh, bonus points if you can. So you have uh, a you have a he and a she. Post the comments of the time code when you hear the cat. Uh, yeah, I have a boy and a girl cat, and it has been really, really challenging. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. You have this your cat, own cat breeding program. Over there. Yeah, no, no, they're they're both spayed uh, okay. or whatever, whatever the boy neutered version is and neutered. Spayed, yeah. No, but this cat is a Siamese bobtail, beautiful, wonderful, unique cat loudest cat in the world and i was wondering why it was so loud it is now walking across my sound mixer uh so maybe some levels will change but yeah i looked it up on the internet why is why is my cat so loud and they're like <laughs> is, is is your cat old yes is your cat siamese yes there's nothing you can do about it. You got a loud cat forever. Sorry, pal. <laughs> like, no. It literally kept me up till five in the morning, three nights in a row. Perfect. Uh, yes. Anyways, but they're getting along better now, Monty and this other cat. Anyways, more about that later. <laughs> but yes. Back to this, the, uh, the beginning of this uh, episode in this interview. <laughs> I like we had to do a cat update. Yeah. In the middle of our sensitive. Well, the uh, cat, the cat just, uh, 
inserted uh, herself it appears yes which she does multiple times in the episode to be ready right um yes so a very very interesting episode i would say maybe one of the most unique canary cry episodes you know a a little bit spunkier i'll say dr d as i call him uh (laughs) is an is is an interesting individual um got a lot of great things to say but you know just keep in mind everybody this is, you know, he's a he's a a non-believer in in any certain religion is his his own words, I believe. But uh, as many of you will be able to tell, he's on the right track in a lot of different ways. Right, and there's something to be said about a actual university professor in the University of California system, especially. And he'll, you know, he'll touch on some of the things that he's been dealing with in that. Um, but, you know, the, the big knock that we often get, you know, or we hear, at least in the Christian circles, is, you, you know, you go to university and your faith gets shattered, right? You get, right. Your, your worldview gets completely shattered because, you and know. And you get indoctrinated into the. Into the system, right. Yeah. At the very least, uh, what Dr. Hamamoto is doing there is breaking through that New World Order Illuminati University Control system. Yeah. System. Yeah. So, so there's, you know, there's common ground there that enough of it, I thought, to bring him on and have this conversation. Uh, not to mention the whole thing with us both being Asian. That's know, true. That, that comes we, up a we, lot. This is, a, is this our first Asian guest, Gons? Is it really? Yeah, I think he might be our first Asian guest. Huh. Oh, goodness. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's going to be great. Out of the whole the whole wonderful conversation and his biggest laurel is being our first Asian guest. <laughs> well, it's not that impactful if, uh, if one of the hosts has been Asian the whole time. It's not like, I, oh, my gosh. Well, I, let's be honest. There was a period in there where, you know, uh, while we're recording episodes, we have a little chat open, you and I, so we can communicate. Uh, I hope I'm not pulling the curtain too far back on everybody on that one. But yeah, you're like, hey, you're being a little quiet, Basil. I'm like, just letting you guys do your Asian thing. Just letting you you guys bond. This doesn't happen all the time for you. (laughs) I was going to make some stereotypical Asian jokes, but um, I'm not going to. Yeah, it's probably best that we don't. I mean, but you know, whatever. Go ahead. Let's do it. So I think that's enough. I think I think everybody understands. There you go. So it's going to be a, a it's a funky episode. Uh, I I mean I enjoyed it. You'll hear I laugh, I laugh hard. Well, the other part of it too, just times. just as a warning, uh, I don't know what was going on with maybe Basil's mic is too good for everybody now, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of talking over each other a little bit, and I think that it's a Skype thing too. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you don't when you're talking, it cuts out. There's like an auto compression type thing that happens on Skype where when, when you're talking, the other person's mic cuts out. Right. So there's, so there's some of that and, and Basil and, and, and myself and uh, Dr. Hamamoto trying to talk over each other a little bit and, you know, all that. It's just because we're so excited. We're so excited. But enough, enough, of, uh, enough of this. Yeah, enough of this stuff, uh, intro stuff. This is a long intro. Yeah, this is a real long intro. We it's because really it's your cat, it. dude. It is the cat. It's <sighs> the cat's fault. There's well, always something. Yeah. It's always a cat. It's always something right. else going on, you know? <laughs> okay, so there you go, Worms, guys. I hope you're still listening. Mosquitoes. Uh, so go ahead and enjoy this episode, and uh, here we go. Bottle of pepper. Sneaky little ninjas. <laughs> this is Canary Cry Radio. 
it truly boggles my mind that people still write me trying to convince me that China and the BRICS nations are going to be the saviors of humanity in this coming international world order that they are admittedly on the books trying to create and construct. It is so ridiculous on its face to me that I hope people can understand that when they say they want to replace the obsolete world order with their new financial world order and the AIIB and all of these institutions are going to be backing it up, I hope they understand that that's what they really mean. They really are constructing a new world order from the destruction of the old world order. People sometimes say, well, at least China isn't going around invading other countries. No, that's because they're too busy colonizing their own people. And I have a very disturbing article. China rates its own citizens, including online behavior. The Chinese government is currently implementing a nationwide electronic system called the Social Credit System, attributing to each of its 1.3 billion citizens a score for his or her behavior. The system will be based on various criteria, ranging from financial credibility and criminal record to social media behavior. From 2020 onwards, each adult citizen should, besides his identity card, have such a credit code. Hey everybody and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 109. 109. It just is, it just keeps getting one more every time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That joke has lost luster after the <laughs> He's year. He's said it a few times uh, over the past 109 episodes. But anyway, Daryl Hamamoto is a professor of Asian American Studies at the University of California, Davis. He's best known for his views on the desexualization of Asian American males in the media. Uh, he studied at Cal State University, Long Beach, Bowling Green State University, and UC Irvine, my not alma mater, almost alma mater school would be alma mater would be if i decided to finish like what four units or something he is the author of several books uh but most pertinent to our conversation today servitors of empire studies in the dark side of asian america where he discusses the asian elite and their role in the new world order system he's also working on a new book that talks about the new world order theory for students which is a really interesting and unique uh approach to bring this topic to students but we want to yeah, welcome dr revolutionary yeah we want to welcome dr daryl hamamoto to canary car radio how you doing thank you very much gentlemen i really appreciate the invitation to be with you this evening and i'm sure we're going to have a really interesting chat here tonight yeah absolutely and you know just so everybody knows i already asked permission to call dr daryl hamamoto dr d so that's what i will be doing Totally fine, right? You you got college mm-hmm. students. You get it. Uh, yeah, there are a bunch of uh, disrespectful morons. For them. <laughs> but I don't let them get uh, familiar with me. I really don't. They have to call me Professor Hamamoto. Okay, well, I feel very... Right. Don't talk to me. Yeah, but in your case, you're, you're growing up or close to graduating. And, uh, That's true. I, I'm, I'm uh, long... Right. <laughs> long yeah. after school so i appreciate that um, <laughs> so a little injection of some yeah. honest truth my right sound from the gate my sound gate was shutting my my laugh up too much but i was laughing very hard okay so dr d uh dr daryl hamamoto yes sir. Uh, i just, just want to say before we get started you know it's not very often that we get guests um 
who do studies or uh, uh, publish views on things like the desexualization of Asian American males in the media. And, uh, you know, I, I personally am not an Asian American male, but, you know, I, uh, my, my good friend and colleague, Gon Shimura, is. And, uh, you know, I'm glad somebody is, is standing up for him. And, and making that. <laughs> Dar- <laughs> Dr. Professor Hamamoto wrote a book for me to be able yeah. to survive. <laughs> The desexualization of uh, Asian American males. So, no, that's that's very interesting uh, work, especially considering your new work, Servitors of the Empire Studies in the Dark Side of the of Asian America, and which is very interesting. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it now, so I'm not waiting to say it forever, uh, because you know when studying things like the NWO or the Illuminati or whatever vocabulary you want to use to describe. Uh, that uh, institution or alleged institution, if I'm being super politically correct, you never really hear about an Asian American or an, or even an Asian uh, faction of that uh, elite group. You always hear about you always hear about the there you go. You always hear about the Vatican and things. This is stealth power, gentlemen. There we go. I'm so we're excited. We're we'll sneaky, take, we'll Basil. The other groups take the fall and the blame for it while we go silently and stealthily along. Oh, you're not, you're not saying, you know, like ninjas <laughs> or anything, are you? Is that what you're no, saying? No, that, that's for fanboys. The ninja <laughs> stuff, the karate kid, that bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> go way beyond that, but, but keep, keep at it. I mean, keep your, keep your nose into that stuff because we love it and we love it. When, you know, just the general population think we're just a bunch of nobodies and desegregate. We dig it. I mean, that's part of the whole uh, strategy of stealth. So I'm not really coming from a, from a conventional approach like, oh, woe is me. I'm looking for my what happened to it. You took it away from me. Please give it back to me, Mr. and Mrs. Establishment. No, no, no. I'm just saying, hey, you know, stop, um, stop crying about it. And why don't you just... Um, do something. So I did that. Uh, 2004, I made the first all Asian American, now Asian American erotica, because we know that there's tons of Asian erotica, especially from Japan, because as I've alluded to already, we are the king of stealth and we are the kings and queens globally of sexuality. That's why there's so many <laughs> yellow people around the world, <laughs> one out of four, one out of five, because on the outside, we look pretty calm and cool and contained, but we all are secret freaks. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Dr. Well, they're D. They're catching on. They're catching on. Uh, <laughs> Dr. D. We're trying I, to keep it on the down low here. I can't take it. The, the big I, secret to get out. Well, let Snoop Doggy Dog and all the big ballers oh, and players God. claim that they have, you know, the goods. But <laughs> And that's cool. That's fine. In the meantime, we're going to be the owners. <laughs> Dr. D. I yeah, got to be. I got to be. Sexuality <laughs> thing is a 12-year-old. See, I've had multiple... <laughs> Unlike most academics that get one paltry, puny idea and hammer on it for 30 years of their mediocre careers, I have pulled a hat trick. I've done the popular culture. I've done the sexuality. And the third phase is putting it all together in what I call the New World Order Theory. I mean, okay, I didn't originate it, but I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it into the university. That's my... My contribution because the university is stale, it's stagnant, it's fossilized, it needs to be revived. 
it's uh, not only overpriced, but it's it's uh, it's overhyped. <laughs> what you're getting outside of the sciences and perhaps even the sciences need some reformation. But definitely in the social science, the humanities, English, creative writing, filmmaking, all that, they need something beyond race, class, and gender, which was what <laughs> I was studying when I was a graduate, and that was a long time ago. So oh you're making me feel really good about not finishing my my sociology degree at UC Irvine. So so thank you for you know injecting some yeah, some, some feel good for me for for some of that. <laughs> okay, so I I just have to say this out front. So you're obviously a smart man, Doctor D, and I'm sure you did some modicum of research on our podcast. Did you did you give us a Google? I spent about uh, three or four hours today watching some of the your pieces. Yeah. Okay. So you. So you, uh-huh. so you. You obviously know uh, that <laughs> your your wonderful uh, intro to yourself here. You know that, that you know that's that's something we haven't really seen on this show a whole lot. And I I, I gotta say it's going to shock a lot of people. I like to bring uh, added value to everything yes. ever I engage in. You certainly did you have certainly brought canary cry radio classroom in the lecture room it's in my scholarship i always like to bring a new twist on it what i mean what's the purpose otherwise (laughs) you you only play the same riffs that Jimi hendrix played in 19 you know 67 or write the same book that some obscure professor has been writing over and i mean no i i have something to say or the same podcast that we've been doing for 108 episodes okay (laughs) so i just i just want to say i'm I'm just gonna say it right now because i have have to say eleven thousand subscribers on youtube (laughs) i have to say this which is For those listeners right now, uh, this is probably just going to be a sample of what's to come. So take whatever measures you need to to protect your young children or anything like that. Okay, so moving on. I'm not going to use any profanity, but this, no, no, this does okay. have adult content to it. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm realizing that now. I mm-hmm. didn't realize it until we hit record, you know, even when we were having a little pre, pre-interview, pre-talk situation. Uh, this was not apparent to me, but here we are. Okay. So it's about stealth. Yes, no, you really <laughs> snuck in here and you well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're really throwing ninja stars they all over the place. Me, you know, Mr. Pearl Harbor. <laughs> oh, oh my god. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. Gons, you got us uh, you got a place to go here. <laughs> Do you have a place to go? Well, okay, let me say this because this is an interesting kind of development in the conversation because your research is really interesting to me obviously being an Asian American you know, growing up in Southern California and, and seeing, you know, not realizing the sort of racism and the word racism is so, uh, I guess, weaponized or used in media to mean relations of, you know, or challenges or, or conflict between races, mostly a black and white issue. Mm -hmm. Um, and here we are as Asians kind of standing by, you know, looking at the whole thing saying, Hey, you know, there's some discrimination there too. Uh, for us, but I think where your research is leading now is really fascinating because as you tie this whole thing into the new world order system, you are effectively, when I listen to some of your other interviews, I'm, I'm hearing what you, what you're seeing seems to be that there is this agenda that's been going along for a really long time. Uh, and it's really taking shape in the last decade, two, three, four decades, but it's, it's, its roots are, you know, well documented. Uh, but you really want to look at, where we are now, like what is happening now, what's happening in front of us in terms of this idea of a new world order. So, you know, just for 
the sake of the audience, New World Order, Illuminati, that kind of stuff. It's been used over and over and over again. It's in yeah. the title of this episode, so some people might even look at it and go, oh my gosh, they're talking about it again. Another one. Right. What, how do you define this New World Order? Well, I think the, uh, con- not the concept, but the term New World Order, NWO itself, uh, is a bit overworn out by now. I might come up with something else. I'll have to come up with something snappier than that. Um, part of the problem over the past, I think, decade, the past 10 years or so, is that, and, and this is, has a lot to do with YouTube, is that um, there's just been such a proliferation of redundancy. Um, you two gentlemen have done your homework. You have some substance. You have, uh, you do presentations. You do very, very fine, um, videos, uh, standalone videos like the ones on CERN, the ones that you did, uh, recently. It's your most recent one on the Olympics, the inner meaning of the Olympics. But for the most part, I mean, like at least half of the shows, and I, I don't turn down any invitations to speak because since I've always been, uh, for the past two years, been kicked out of my classes at UC Davis. Uh, I need some sort of audience, right, in order to get my jollies. But uh, I find that most of them are just watching other YouTube channels. Right. So the whole New World Order and, and also some of the more prominent shows, it's become like crisis porn, you know? And after a while, it's like it doesn't really get you off anymore. Right, right. And so, which is good. I just switch it off or cancel my subscriptions for something else. And, um, uh, or better yet, do my own work. Uh, and I'm finding all kinds of interesting uh, connections in areas that haven't even been scratched yet. Uh, I was on a show a few weeks ago with a gentleman from, um, well, from the British Commonwealth, let's say. Um, commenting on uniquely American cultural, societal, and political issues. I don't know what sort of authority he has on that basis. But again, as Gonz, as you alluded to, he's got the passport, right? <laughs> you know, he can comment on right. anything. Right. Yeah, he's, uh, I can't. I, he's I have to own us. Ethnic ghetto. But you see, that's not what I'm about. I don't want to be in this little cubby hole that's been designated for me. But instead of crying about it, I'm going to be writing and producing and expressing myself however I need to. So let me give an example of some of the areas that I've been busting into. I'm going into haute couture. That means high fashion, if you can't understand my bad uh, pronunciation. I can't, but I get it now. Talking about, you know, Alexander McQueen and John Galliano. I know they're, they're passe by now. But I thought the, the high fashion of the 90s when the supermodels started, you know, coming out and becoming glorified and worshipped, Naomi Campbell and uh, Christy Turlington and the whole bit. It's fun. Like I said, it's fun researching them. But... Uh, they fit very, very closely, very well within this larger framework that I'm developing. And again, we'll use the, the convenient term, New World Order Theory. Uh, because you're talking about uh, people at the highest rungs of society who are patronizing these designers. And what's really beautiful about both John Galliano and, and uh, Mr. McQueen, not Steve McQueen, Alexander McQueen, uh, they're both... Um, uh, Englishman, by the way, uh, I don't think that's coincidental. Said both of these individuals, and uh, to a certain extent, um, Vivian Westwood, uh, who's of a slighter, older generation, by let's say half generation, she was more like a punk, a Malcolm McLaren, 
uh, era, Galliano and Alexander McQueen came on her, on her, um, followed her footsteps. So what's interesting about them is that all of them kind of just shoved it back in the face of the Euro-American establishment. And they just did whatever they could to outrage them. And they more and the, uh, their, their clients, outrage your clients or customers, um, their patrons, I should say, they're not customers. We are customers at that level. They have patrons, right? Uh, but they, the more that they uh, shocked the bourgeoisie, the international bourgeoisie, the ruling class, the more the international ruling class loved it. They they really hmm. dig it. They love to be debased. And I'm sure all the people that we see on television, the newscasters, the politicians, they, you know, in their private lives, I think for the most part, you know, Rupert Murdoch, whoever else, I think in their private lives, uh, they probably want to be diapered and pampered oh or humiliated in some fashion and take back to take, being taken back to a really infantile stage. The most powerful people in the world love abasement. Right. So real quick. Yes, sir. Now, the question was, uh, in, in your definition uh, or in your, you know, working vocabulary, the word, uh, the, the phrase New World Order, and I'll even just throw it in there because I want to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, words like the Illuminati or things like that. In, in the definition that you're working with in your work, what is that? Well, when I hear those terms, my eyes begin to glaze over because, you know, I've been reading this since I was in junior high school, which was a long time. By the way, my, my early tutors are my peers who were 16 and 17 years old who were refugees from the uh, Catholic schools because they learned this in the curriculum. I went to public school, but they learned about the Knights Templar. They yeah. learned about the Knights Hospitalier, and they learned about the sovereign military order, you know, the Knights of Malta, all that. I said, geez, how did you get this knowledge? I said, oh, we study comparative religion. We study Buddhism, Shintoism, Hinduism, all of it. And of course, you know, Roman Catholicism is going to be the logical outcome of it. It's reinforcing it. But it's really, really a, a, a completely different curriculum that I, that I saw was being taught in the same society. Anyway, that's just uh, an aside. So sure. I've been at this for quite a long time. I first got into it in, in when I was still in high school. I started reading comparative religion. Because I saw that as being one of the most divisive features of human society, but also the one that was most universal. Um, and then as I uh, progressed through uh, my formal education process, I got the standard package. I mean, Gons, you, you've gone through many years of uh, UC uh, Irvine. Yep. And uh, Basel, I don't know where you went to school, but, you know, you went through a four-year program or a department, right? Yeah. What was your major, by the way? Uh, communications. There you go. Okay, you're there doing you communications. Yeah, doing see, it. school you're, did something. You're one of the few people that's working um, in your major, so that's excellent. I applaud you. I but there's a that. lot to be learned. I mean, I I'm really have a jaundiced uh, perception of the universe, especially because of my battles I've been having with the administration over my intellectual and professional work. Because it's not... Uh, I mean, it, the work itself is 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 invigorating. It's energizing, and it's right. very useful to anybody that that listens to me or or reads my work or my or sees my productions and whatnot. But the university that so that's not a problem. The university has a big problem with it because what I learned after 
let's say, what, two decades, 20 years of being the international. I, I learned this about uh, since 2004, I guess it was, after I came back from sabbatical. I finally had to admit to myself that the university is at the center of the new, at least the University of California, is at the center of the new world order uh, system. Ah, okay. There we and go. And little wannabe Illuminati, let's call them technocrats, who think they're all that, right? Including our recently uh, deposed chancellor, Linda P.B. Katehi, right? She's a technocrat. But the technocratic elite are hardly what you'd call the Illuminati. They're, they're really, really low-level managers, and I'm even huh. more than them. The Illuminati that you allude to, or at least what, what I think about, what comes to mind when, when you mention that term, are these uh, well-born gentlemen of the uh, of the Enlightenment, the late enli- uh, Enlightenment, uh, really anti-clerical, justifiably so, given the predations of the Holy Roman Empire out of which they spring. Sure. Uh, I'm alluding to Dr. Adam Weishaupt. Right. See, there's an academic connection there. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what's so interesting about it is that why are my uh, supposed colleagues, and I can't call them colleagues because they're lower than me, um, on many levels, including their humanity. Uh, why are they bugging out on all this? Because most of it comes from the university anyway. The university itself is an occult institution. It's a medieval institution. It's about mysteries. Right. It's about sciences. It's about Pythagoras. I'm starting to explore him after, um, you know, how many, how many centuries his, his, um, his uh, explorations in the area of music, because I'm doing a lot of music right now, so I'm studying frequencies, and I'm studying examples of frequencies like EDM, right, electronic dance music. Right, I want right. to find out why people are so, in, so entranced by Paul Oakenfold, and I want to see why people turn out by the tens of thousands to see gorillas. Yeah, <laughs> please, gentlemen, yeah. you're part of that cohort, and if you can explain it to me, please. And by the way, your audience, please, after after um, this is posted on the YouTube channel, put little comments there and give me me little hints on where I should look at, right? Because I'm trying oh, to study I, and I try guarantee to you, you will get us. A, a, a number of emails after this for a number of reasons. You may have to sift through them, but yes, somebody will get out there give you some resources for it's sure. A it's a two-way street here, right? Um, yeah. It's a communal effort we're talking about. Absolutely. So you two and me, but also your audience. Oh, people yeah. This is a big old party. Are people who have active minds and they're doers and they're engaged people. Otherwise, they I don't know what they'd be doing. But my number one question, you know, I'm, uh, just be- before I go on is, um, I'm going to for the I'm a video game vir- uh, virgin, right? I never had a video game ever. Okay, so all I, right. I'm not proud of that fact, but I but I need to do it. So please put in the comments on this interview. Put in the comments what you think the best platform is and where I should start because I'm ready to make the investment <laughs> because I really can't write about gaming and video gaming unless at least I have some basic experiential yeah. um, knowledge. You're, you're really you're really going to get a lot of our numbers up on our comments. I can already tell, and I <laughs> I appreciate that for you. And I swear we did not Listen, pay you to say this. As a um, host, my number one obligation is to make you guys. <laughs> I mean, not as a host, as a guest. Yeah. 
my credo, I'm giving away a trade secret here, as a guest, my number one priority is making the host look as good as possible. And You're building, doing a great job. Building them up and building up there. And I'm not doing this gratuitously because I really, and I'm not hyping this, I think programs like this, because I know this question is going to come up, I, so I'll answer it in advance. I think programs like this are part of the solution to the new world order and all the suppression that's taking well, place. Well, that actually means a lot, and I really appreciate that. And I, I, I think all our listeners out there would agree with you. And uh, it, it gives me a, a good feeling to know that I spent so much money on this new microphone. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but okay. So just so because I have to do my job as a host, which in, includes all of those things that you mentioned uh, back on you, but I do need to just get. I, I do just want our listeners to have a solid foundation because if we're gonna be talking about some of these uh, subjects, you know, they already have a background of these subjects through our show and through other uh, mediums that they study and research on their own. But if we're going to be having a conversation about things like the NWO, which is in the subtitle of your next book and, uh, you know, seems to be part of the subject of Servitors of the Empire Studies in the Dark Side of Asian America, uh, I do need to have a solid understanding of what exactly the NWO and the Illuminati or things like that mean to you. And and just real quick, uh, just so you know, to most of our listeners, not all, but to most of them, uh, the Illuminati and the NWO is is an actually very well organized, uh, very well executed group of elites uh, in the world who are working towards a certain plan of globalization uh, for for you know whatever means for for a number of means. Now, is that something similar to what you uh, agree with in your definition of the NWO, or do you have something more uh, UC Davis? Well, what you describe, I would agree with um, almost completely, but it also will include the, the traditional university academic uh, disciplines. Like I said, what I'm calling New World Order Theory has been part of the very birth and life of the university for centuries. So you they have away from you have an actual, an actual uh, a little, I don't know, a little beef, a little... Uh, a little beef with the university system. Oh, absolutely. As, as it comes to being... It. Oh, oh, I they like this. They occulted the occult beginning in the 1950s, I think, is when it happened. This is when the technocrats were put out there. And their role as a sacerdotal or uh, magi or, or magases or mystics yeah. was transformed to that of technocrat or scientist. Sure. But it's, it's occultism. Yeah, it's root. It hasn't really changed. It's refined. It's advanced. Absolutely. But it's it's uh, basis is hidden knowledge. That's what a cult means. And what does that mean to you in the in the big picture? What exactly is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is this something we should try to avoid? I, I believe I remember you saying this is something that needs to be fought, right? Occult knowledge or power or or information that's used for bad purposes, certainly it has to be understood and fought, combated, and um, you have to present an alternative to it. But 
most people aren't even your listeners may be atypical, but uh, most people are aren't even aware that the university um, is founded on on these very principles that you, right. you discuss. So instead of taking the approach uh, with my colleagues saying, "Oh yeah, I'm bringing in something altogether new," because they don't want to hear about that, they're typically conservative, even though they might live in Oakland or in the East Bay and, and think that they're you know super hip because they live in the Bay Area and drive a Prius or, or some sort of politically correct uh, vehicle. <laughs> you know, the, uh, they don't the, know. They, don't, they wear the they, uniform, the liberal they uniform. They wear the uniform, the Birkenstocks, whatever it is. And, and uh, worse <laughs> than that, they have the psychology, the mentality For sure. of, a, of an intellectual um, worker, right? And um, just despite their own self-deception of how, how smart and brilliant and, and uh, innovative they are. And I'm sorry to, to sound so condescending toward them, but, you know, I've been through a really rough patch here. So. No, sure. I'm sorry. Hey, hey, hey let, <laughs> a let, bit of slack. let loose, buddy. I'm, I guarantee you none of them are listening to this show. Many of them listen to me in secret because as I mean, especially when I went on and called out Linda Katehi and the Janet Napolitano and all these sleaze bags are beginning to drop like flies. I'm still in place. They might get me eventually, but I'm going to take some of the buggers out first. And so that tells you that I, I think what I'm trying to say here is that there's a really good practical component to New World Order theory if you understand uh, their system, their games, their strategies, it's like finding someone's playbook. You can go through it and anticipate everything that they're going to do because they're not very creative. You see, Boom. you can prepare. So I have been able to uh, intellectually figure out their game, their history, their psychology. Uh, we've... Uh, me and colleagues, that's why I'm saying using the plural we, have sniffed out their genealogies, even down to their bloodlines, so yeah. we can understand how they function yeah. and what they're going to do. Okay, so this you is know great. your enemy. You got to know, and you can only know it through these occult forms of of wisdom and knowledge and information. You can't get yes. it through studying, uh, being a sociology major or a communicate with all due respect, a communications major, anthropology. You're getting a partial picture. Yeah. I, I think, I think the biggest thing for me that I learned from studying sociology is how to study, uh, not, you know, what to study is a different matter, but just how to, how to investigate certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, so it seems like you have a very, in terms of the practical sort of definition, it's very similar and it sort of hits close to home where you are as a university professor. And, and, you know, you think about the traditions of graduation, you wear the, the thing and, you know, they, they all the have wizard their, robe. the wizard robe. The, yeah. The wizard robe. Right. I definitely, it's, it's Freemasonic. It's Freemasonic. Right. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, I remember when I realized that too, the I was like, board. wow. Yeah. Yeah. The square and compass cap. The tassel comes from, I think strip clubs or something. I don't know. <laughs> Oh my <laughs> goodness. Um, so, you know, that being said, and I, and I want to bring this up and we don't have to dwell on this topic, but I do want to mention it because of the nature of our show and, and just where we're coming from. And a lot of our listeners would suggest and, and agree. And, and Basil and I agree that there is an actual spiritual component to this that is undergirding this entire thing. Um, because, you know, from my perspective, and I think Basil will share this, we're all in this together. We're all the human race. Now, part of the human race seems to have 
been deceived in some way or have been fed information from their their history, their lineage that causes them to act in ways that are you know highly of interest to them, but basically stepping on everyone else in the world uh, as long as they're comfortable and they're able to fulfill their agenda or at whatever level, um, you know ultimately probably being some sort of occultic, uh, promise of a golden age or, or, you know, ascension into godhood or apotheosis or, or something like that, you know, the more sort of esoteric end of it, there's a component that is spiritual that's sort of metaphysical. Have you looked into that at all? In, well, I'm in, glad in, you brought that up because oh I'm, boy, I'm heavily um, exploring that heavily in, 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 uh, in, in areas that you might not considered to be spiritual or religious. I'm looking at uh, literary texts as being sources of, um, oh, I don't know how to describe it, preternatural power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? well, uh, I, echo. I'm reading a lot. I've just been reading novels and fiction and literature. I think that's really, uh, it's really a, an area source that, that, um, people t- today need to look at instead of watching uh, YouTube's. Oh, oh absolutely. And, but and yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm uh, me, not just me, by the way, but uh, some of my colleagues are, are, we have a, I think it's a Facebook. We put it up. There. It's called the spirit realm because it, it's absent in the university unless right. it's in comparative religion. Oh, we're not going to talk about the spirit. Right, right. We're just going to about how people did this, this, and here's the major, you know, you know, those courses, right? Oh. No, um, we're going to talk about, um, I'm not going to use the term spirituality because all these terms are loaded. We're just, we use the term, the spirit realm. Yeah. I am curious just right. And I hate to cut you off. Important. No, please. And yeah, and I apologize. I just want to, just because I want to be in the spirit of full transparency and understanding between you and us and the listener. Um, uh, I'm sure you figured out through your research that there is, uh, that we are, uh, fundamental. Well, fundamentally is not the right word in this instance, but uh, we are Christian folk. That is the the probably the spiritual basis of where we come from. But I'm curious about your uh, your ideas about the spirit worlds or spirituality in general. If you are one of those, right? And I I just want to say that every we understand, okay, that every label that we can use is loaded. You know what I mean? Like oh, to yeah. some ex- sure. to some extent, I I usually just say, "Hey, I come from a Christian worldview," but I know that that's a loaded word. That <laughs> like it it means different right. things to different people. Sure. But anyway, yeah. that's I just wanted to mention that mm-hmm. as a and, and so yes, and so I will say that you are coming. You are speaking to uh, some uh, I would say spiritually forward folk. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say that they are the traditional Christians. If it, you know, when you say Christian, everybody gets a certain picture in their mind. Most of our Republican. listeners are. Yeah, most of our <laughs> listeners are uh, are are strange. They're strange Christians. <laughs> I'll just say that. We're on so the just fringes. So, so through, in the spirit of transparency, there you go. But I am curious, and I think the audience, Watch the audience shows. Yeah, Yes, absolutely. When you said three or four hours, I'm like, okay, this guy has got us pegged. But I would like to know, uh, I would just like you to maybe give a little bit of your views to our audience so they have a reference point, um, uh, 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 you know, on on what they're hearing. 
Well, as I alluded to earlier, I've always been interested in uh, religion, religiosity, and matters of the spirit. Uh, as an elementary school student, we had something back then called religious release, and we were able to get out of regular classes uh, in elementary school once a week in order to go to, uh, it was typically Protestant uh, or um, Judaism or uh, Catholic. I went to the Catholic ones. You know, my father was a baptized Catholic who kind of lapsed after a while. But I felt closest to that tradition. So I went to catechism, and, and on an academic level, I could I nailed all the catechism. I was really the teacher just loved me to death. But then she'd always ask us, So did you go to mass? And she'd keep score. I said, No, I didn't go. <laughs> so I was you really, lost points. Yeah. So I was really weak on the on the uh the ceremonial aspects, but the intellectual parts of it, I just ate it up. I would have made a very good Jesuit. <laughs> uh, but but I did um um, well, I, I, you know, out of respect to your audience, I won't get into the sordid details of where the Roman Catholic Church is today in 2000. Well, I don't well know. we've, we've been highly critical. <laughs> yes, as far as the Catholics, you're, you're going to, for the most part, we do have some very lovely Catholic listeners, but uh, yeah, for the most part, uh, in terms as of far the as talking about the Illumini, Illuminati or the NWO, uh, you know, the, the Catholic Church fits into that, at least in the, the, the uh, ideas that are expressed on the show regularly. Well, well, let me answer your your question by pointing to one author I find fascinating. That's Leo Zagami, who has written at least two books on uh, the Vatican. And um, and he is, a, or at least was a Roman Catholic, but he also claims to have been affiliated with these different uh, secret societies. But he's he seems to be speaking and writing from the position of an insider. So I do realize that there are people within these traditions, whatever they want to call themselves, Muslim, Jews, or Buddhist, or Shinto, or Christian, that while these terms are loaded, that, that they're also internally quite diverse. And some of the biggest troublemakers are from within that particular religious denomination. They wish Yeah, you're, the, you're the talking elders, to a couple right now. Yeah, yeah. there you go. They, you know, whatever denomination you belong to, the, probably the head guy there wants you to convert to something else. Just so they, they won't have to bother with you. Yeah. So, little, in, a, little so in, a quick, <laughs> in a quick explanation, in a quick sentence, how do you describe your, uh, again, everything's going to be loaded. I'm just going to say it. What your spiritual leanings? I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm okay. a not not in the sort of uh, wishy washy deistic Freemasonic sense. Do you believe in a superior being? That's all all that we require for you to be admitted. Actually, it's not. You have to devote yourself to Satan after degree number thirty three. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, I reject, repudiate the dark side, the evil, satanic, Luciferian. Uh, you want to call them archons, it's fine. These these are the enemies of humanity, and we beat them with love and knowledge and compassion, and um, and also with a lot of attitude, which I have okay. in abundance, by the way. It's a very <laughs> it's a very yeah, I was important say, uh, survival tool for someone f- not represented in adult filmmaking. You know, I'd have to oh I have to compensate somehow. You're a funky dude, man. You're a funky dude man. With a big chip on his shoulder, as I've been told before. <laughs> yeah, I have. Okay. A, I have a chip on my shoulder. I admit it. I grew up in L.A., by the way. Okay, good to know. Okay, so now 
Uh, you just, just no, I, I I'm sorry. And Orange I County. I, I went to UC Irvine. I got my PhD at UC Irvine. Yes, well, me and Gons met in Orange County. I'm no longer there, but I spent a lot of time there. Irvine, um, yeah. Okay, so I I'm curious now that we got a ba- uh, uh, just a just a really flavorful. Uh, understanding of <laughs> who you are. Um, uh, yeah, let's get a little bit into the servitors of the empire studies in the dark side of Asian America. Now, can you, are you, are, are you able to give us a nice, a nice little synopsis? What's it, what's your theory? How does this start here? Well, you know how everybody, just about everybody, uh, it's a very similar situation to the fact that there are no um, Asian American males in these uh, feature films, right? They'll put Brad Trick in there or somebody else, right? Um, it's the same situation, but you know how most people feel. You know, your Asian American people, Orientals, if you want to call them that. I'll use that term. That's the old-fashioned term, but I li- I'm beginning to like it because Asian American has become, uh, to me, uh, a term of uh, disgust, self-disgust. So I'm not going to call myself Asian American. I'm in an Asian American studies department. I'm not going to call myself that anymore. I'm disaffiliating myself. But the perception is that we're pretty um, inoffensive, harmless uh, individuals who um, enjoy a higher-than-average family income, according to the U.S. Bureau of Census, and don't have don't engage in a lot of criminal activity and gangsterism, and and we're not very well represented in the uh, general prison population. We have a few in there, but not as many as other ethnic groups, right? Including the the majority society. So there's that. Okay, fine and dandy. I I don't think uh, people should make a career out of uh, street level criminality, but that's not what I'm writing. I'm writing about the people of Asian heritage in the United States who have risen to the, some of the highest levels of academia, government, and corporations, and military. And I started out in Asian American studies many years ago, where those types of positions were de facto and de jure barred from, uh, from us ever attaining. We were not able to even a dream of attainment, but that changed thanks to the civil rights movement, and I, also, I will say thanks to the Asian American political movement, which I was a part of. But what has happened since the days that I was involved as an undergraduate in the 70s with the Asian American movement in the beginning is that it's been just like everything else, the women's movement, the feminist movement, the GLBTQA movement, all of them. The Chicano Studies movie, the, the African-American, they've all been hijacked by private foundations, the feds, uh, intelligence, the universities, and they've been turned on their head and they've been weaponized to enslave not only the general population through guilt tripping and set asides and you name it, but also it cripples most of the people within these groups, including in, in, in the case that I'm talking about, Asian Americans themselves. Asian Americans are guilty of believing their own positive uh, publicity. And that's part of the problem that I'm having with my colleagues. They're saying, what are you doing? You're revealing the hard truth to the larger public. Most of them don't know it themselves because they grew up in upper middle class professional families where they were shielded from these realities. But I'm, you know, street, L.A., South Central. I grew up under <laughs> segregation and I grew up in the uh, minority, non-white underclass. So I've seen that. But I've also 
uh, managed to uh, claw, scratch, and kick my way into the higher levels of academia, right? So on an experiential level and a historical level, I've seen that our society has changed, and it's changed through aggressively challenging every single inequality or unfair treatment that you've ever experienced in your life. But what I see now is that uh, a good number of Asian Americans are now the perps rather than the victims of the society. They may become medical doctors. What are they going to do there? Are they going to go unthinkingly uh, follow the agenda of, uh, of big pharma and prescribe vaccines that are adulterated, that have, that have a, uh, a history of harming the population? Are they going to go into the mental health industry where they're going to put labels on people, create a jacket that's going to follow you through your entire career, affect your life chances at work, and you, they could use it for, for blackmail and intelligence, you name it? Uh, that's These are the questions that I'm asking young people, undergraduates in my lectures. What are you going to do with this? all this access that you have now? Are you going to use it for, for the sake of humanity and building up civilization? Or are you going to use it for the benefit, the immediate short-term benefit of your paymasters who are hiring you as nothing more than an intellectual coolie labor? Because believe me, ladies and gentlemen... I'm pretending I'm back in class now since they keep kicking me out. <laughs> Believe me, there will become a time, let's say when by your late 40s and 50s, where you're, you're becoming like uh, expendable, and they're going to bring in some young person from the university that you're going to train. And what you're doing is training your own replacement. Not only that, is that even if you're in one of the safe professions like a pharmacist, right, and I have a sister who's a pharmacist. I have two uh, siblings who followed traditional Asian American career paths. One's an optometrist, and the other one's a pharmacist. So I know what I'm talking about here. Those are not safe professions. They're going to be replaced by robots. Yeah, wow. that's right. AI. You don't need an optometrist anymore. There, yeah. I was there like a couple months ago. They're there mostly to talk to you. <laughs> make you feel like you have some sort of contact other than with your in, your your insurance company, right. right? But all that stuff's automated. Yeah, same Holy with the, the bill counters. I mean, they don't, don't allow humans to count bills anymore. There's too much room for error, and the doctors don't know anything about pharmacopoeia. My sister knows tons more than any doctor, even the specialist about pharm pharmaceuticals, than they do. Right. But she's going to be gone too. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because as an outlier myself, my, my parents definitely uh, set the path for me in terms of the order of, of uh, achievements that I will accomplish. Um, if it wasn't, uh, you know, the Olympic gold medal, I talked about that in the recent video. That was but, interesting. Yeah, but, it, it, you know, if it wasn't Man, that... You, I mean, <laughs> it was it was your your... Your physique that kept you out of becoming a world well, class I mean, swimmer. Ma maybe I, I, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to blame that as a limitation. Footer. You have to be six footer to be a world class swimmer. Yeah, that most male, mostly male mostly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of guys. I, I, I no, don't know there's there not are a any. lot of spud webs. I saw that part too. Yeah, I caught, I caught the <laughs> you caught the reference, the illusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, you didn't have to ID it. Yeah, so so it's interesting that you bring that up because I definitely saw even before I knew anything about the New World Order, I, I sensed something in my gut from the beginning that I'm I'm feeding into this larger beast thing system, and, and I didn't like that. It just made me feel uncomfortable from the get go. So that's really interesting that that you bring all those aspects up. But in terms of 
tying into the greater agenda of the New World Order as you, you know, as we sort of try to figure out how to define it. You talk about this robot replacement thing. Now, Uber just announced in the next few weeks that they're going to roll out uh, self-driving auto cars, right? Automatic cars. Now, this completely, uh, if it takes off, um, it would basically make taxi driving obsolete, which it's been, you know, th- that's already started with Uber and, and a couple other uh, apps and stuff that are I out there. I thought they were already doing that. That's what I'm saying. They, they're rolling out this driverless car in the next few weeks. So, you mean they're uh, uh, their own brand? So Uber, I think, is uh, in connection with Volvo, made a $300 uh-huh. million dollar deal uh-huh. that, that basically gives Uber some SUVs, some autonomous vehicles to research, mm-hmm. is what they're saying. Uh, and what I think is interesting about this, and I've tried to find the, the source or you know, any place where it talks about it, what are the uh, sort of the insurance policies surrounding this? <laughs> if you get in a car, if you, I'm sure there is, uh, if you look at the fine print on Uber now, there's going to be something that says when you use this app to ride this autonomous car, you know, basically you, you can't sue them, you can't blah, 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 blah. You know, basic sure. insurance rights, whatever. Well, I, I don't know what it is, but there's got to be some sort of legal protection there for Uber, right? Because they're getting a bunch of random people in a driverless car. But in, in any case, the, the bigger point that I wanted to, to bring up is that the replacement, yeah, the, the, the sort of de- degradation of the Asian American, and then you're kind of tying it into the greater degradation of, you know, every race, every class, every, every group, you know, every group that feels like they've been wronged, they've been weaponized, they've been completely turned on their head. Ultimately, what is it that these elite want? Do they want robots to replace everything? Well, we were asking about the, the, the general understanding or definitions of new world order theory. And one of them that was not brought up is this issue of radical population reduction. That's one of their right. their, their key elements. And I happen to agree with it. Uh, not because uh, it's just not a, ma- a matter of belief with me. I just read their documents, look at the history. Uh, look at the the behavior of corporations and and uh, the leadership uh, stratum of of the, the new world order. They're all about weakening us physically, intellectually, morally, uh, so that we're more amenable to their their control, their various forms of control and distraction. Uh, but they want they want to see us dead ultimately. And and right. when it when it's when it reaches that point. Uh, they will achieve their aims, their dark yeah. aims. And then perhaps then they can unveil who they really are, which they might not even be a human species for all we know. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now we're getting into now good we're getting stuff. Into now we're getting the into reptilians. the reptilians. Right? So, yeah. so, just, so just to clarify, just uh, for semantics sake, you're not saying you believe in the fact that uh, the population needs to be greatly reduced. You oh, believe, no, no. You believe in the uh, theory that the, the reality world order elites... That is uh, their, their, probably their number one agenda item is to radically depopulate planet Earth so they can rewild it, put it back in its pristine. I'm speaking from their perspective. They're, you know, this is Agenda 21, and Gons, you've done a really great piece on uh, the 2030 project, right, in the United Nations, yeah. right, which seems to have gone out of uh, fashion because on YouTube there's always something new to uh, – deconstruct quote-unquote like now everybody's got to do the supernatural olympics uh, 2016 i don't even watch that stuff anymore it's not very interesting it's very predictable uh i want to stick to basics so yeah it's population reduction uh and the deal is is that uh, we the uh, fodder the cattle the sheep 
right? We are, are, are going to be subsidizing or paying for our own destruction. So it's slow death, right? We'll pay for the pharmaceuticals. We'll pay for the insurance that's meant not to uh, protect or extend our, our lives, but to degrade them. So that's the iron, That's the ultimate in cynicism. Getting people, it's like Tom Sawyer writ large or Huckleberry Finn, whether you, you, you get someone to uh, pay for the privilege of painting your fence, Right, right. right. I think in the 70s and some of these clubs in L.A., they had this system called pay to play. And that is if you wanted to play rock star on the stage at the Roxy or the Whiskey O'Go-Go, you had to sell tickets. And oh, everything we, I think Basil oh, and I both yeah. know a lot about pay to play. <laughs> yeah, we, we both have some extensive uh, musical, uh, well, attempted prof- attempted professional musical careers. There and, you go. Uh, yeah, pay to play has been a, a, a thorn in my side. <laughs> hey, Absolutely. man, just buy this ticket. <laughs> Yeah, come Help, see us yeah. for sixty I mean, bucks. Yeah, and you know you're you're uh, you're completely the mercy mercy of people who could care if you live or die. Right. So the um, stress should be on human freedom, accomplishment, and achievement. But you see, if the stress was on these elements uh, of of our humanity, that could pose a serious threat to the ruling elite, right? Who are interbred uh, or inbred morons, right? Uh, they're the chinless wonders like uh, Prince Charles. <laughs> you know, he really, Careful, man. really he, gosh, he Careful. needs to get some of that steward blood and back. They're to- listening right now. <laughs> you know what? Chinless they, wonders. They could care or- less because, um, uh, not only do they have better things to do, but they realize that uh, YouTube and independent media has become nothing but crisis porno. Right. I, right. I don't. Yeah. I don't even. I'm very, very selective on what I do. Yeah, and you know, it's I'm it's something I've seen. Pardon me. Uh, well, I was going to say it's something that we've spoken out uh, about uh, quite a bit on this podcast because you know there we're not we're not unique in the in what we talk about uh, for the most part, and there are a lot of wonderful podcasts out there, but there are also a lot of podcasts out there that do uh, you know kind of sensationalize and make claims and things like that. Uh, just you know, it's just just you got to get your your high, your crisis high. As yeah, exactly. To. And the, reason, the only reason I mentioned, and not to denigrate them, is is just to to distinguish my my quest and my endeavor, as you asked before. What distinguishes my endeavor from these terms that are bandied about so so often and frequently, and to, to the point of banality, right? Uh, yeah, I understand that, but I'm I'm giving a lot more than what these terms uh, imply. Including the spirit realm, right. including specifically music, fashion, uh, gaming, and uh, what else? I've, I've been uh, studying Japanese popular culture right. very closely. And by the way, that's another area of pioneering that I did back in 1976. I wrote a paper. I have to find it because I have a I have a master's degree in popular culture. Not very many people can say that. Wow. They claim, oh yeah, I'm really down with it, but I, I didn't even I know took, that was a thing. I made the yeah, I made the commitment to study unpopular area. I got into race and ethnicity and competitive culture, UC Irvine, before it became cool and mandatory. So when people are zigging, I'm zagging. So when my <laughs> colleagues are still doing race, class, and gender, I'm into new world order theory. They should be following my lead, and they will be following my lead. And they're right. going to be saying later on, oh yeah, we knew it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, getting back, you know, getting back 
to um, to this larger point, um, which you'll have to remind me what was a larger. Well, I mean, point? I was bringing up the concept of of machines replacing, but oh, I, yeah, I, I, right. I want to tie it into also you bring up Japan and, and popular culture in Japan. That's ah. very interesting to me. I know anime culture has exploded in America. Um, yeah. Being, I'm a second generation. This is kind of a selfish thing for me, but I'm a second generation Japanese American. Mm-hmm. I, I, think that, I, I think you're first. No, I'm second. I'm considered you're second f- because I'm born here. My parents were the first generation that came here. Oh, because they moved here. Because they moved here. Yeah. So I'm born but in America. But you're the first born. First born in America, which makes me second generation. That doesn't make any sense. But I'm not going to fight you it. You know here. what? I I didn't think it made it's sense a, either. It's but a Nikkei thing. It's how the yeah, it's how the it's statisticians. A sociology. Yeah, sociology thing. You have an understanding that the generational differences do matter. Yeah, yeah, and and you know I've, it's I don't know much about you know Japanese history. I, I mean I've seen some of the TV shows and stuff, but especially the Westernization of Japan has been now looking at it through sort of these new perspectives of the new world order system. It's really well, fascinating well, to see the infiltration of the West into, into Japan in the last I century got from you. Yeah. I got something for you, John, go ahead, finish. Well, up. Uh, yeah. Just to wrap it up. And, and, and also the huge tie in with world war two, obviously, but then culturally you mentioned population reduction. Japan is one of the nations that's really going down in population. They're, they're dying faster than they're making babies. Yes. And they're really embraceive of technology. So yes. it's, it's this double whammy, and, and it's really interesting how culture is, they're completely abandoning the traditions that made Japan Japan for mm-hmm. thousands of years or whatever, and, and they're just going with this new techno, you know, craze, and it's, it's really kind of alarming, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's kind of a life mission there for me, um, you know, in terms of me personally for evangelism in Japan that I don't know how I'm going to do, maybe sometime in life I can figure that out, but, it, just in in the bigger scope of things, it's been an, a country Asia in general, but specifically Japan. I think has been greatly uh, under the radar ninja status with the whole new world order thing. Absolutely, that's why I'm attracted to it. By the way, I thank you for the opportunity to speak about Asia and Japan and Asian America as well, because I, I don't often get to do that in on most programs because they're 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 really narrow in their focus. And there is something called ethnocentrism. I'm sorry to say that, but and it's to the detriment of the, of, of people who interview me and don't realize what who they have sitting there, and and what he, meaning me, is capable of uh, contributing to the to the to the dialogue. And that's why I'm continuing this this area of interest in Japan. I've I've lived in Japan for two on two separate occasions for one year at a time. Uh, first as a Fulbright scholar, I was at. Hiroshima University for one year, and then in 2004, I was at the uh, University of Ukyu's, which is uh, the southernmost prefecture of Japan, Okinawa, two, two wildly different places. So on a professional level, I have experience. Uh, on a familial level, you mentioned you being a, a Nisei, Shin Nisei, new, new Nisei. Uh, I'm Sansei, right? Third generation. You mentioned your family background is important. So there's on a, on a familial as well as professional level, I have always had a big interest. But it also intersects. It also drives my my interest in the new world order because part of the and this is a no brainer. But part of the argument is Japan is one of the the laboratories where where these principles are being worked out. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I forgot the gentleman's name. He teaches at the University of uh, California, San Francisco. His name's uh, uh, God. It's coming to me. 
Um, but he won the Nobel Prize. He was the co-winner of Nobel Prize. And he was about stem shell. Uh, Yamanaka is his name. I think it's yeah, uh, Shin- Shinya. Shinya Yamanaka. Shinya Yamanaka. And he's at UCSF, and he was a co-winner of, uh, I don't know who the other person was, but his specialty is stem cell research, right? So, again, I count, I count him as a servitor of empire, right? Mm-hmm. And he has, he has made some public statements about about being, you know, warning us to be very care- cautious and careful about about what the corporations that funded him are going to do with his research. Mm, interesting. You know, at least he has a conscience and he's right. expressing it, but most of them don't. Right. They just want a lab with their name. They want Yamanaka Lab, UC San Francisco, and they want that Nobel Prize. Um, and there was that incident with that young researcher. I think she was like 35 years old. I forgot her name. And Irish she, King? Uh, no, no, this is a Japanese woman. I was saying it's Taiwanese. Oh, Taiwanese. Anyway, yeah, anyway, I won't go down that path, but she was set up to, to be publicly humiliated from one of her uh, discoveries there. Um, and at the University of uh, Kyoto Robotics, uh, that's the, the place to, to study uh, advanced uh, robotics. We know about, um, in the popular culture, Hatsune Miku, you know, that one on... YouTube. She's a virtual character, oh, right. a virtual idol. Mm-hmm. These are all have been uh, workshopped in Japan since the 1950s. Uh, they realized at a certain point, and they were they were helped to realize by the U.S. and other people that so you're not going to keep compete with us industrially if you do. Just remember what happened to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We're not going to allow you to get right. to that level. But we have this other job for you, and it's a miniaturization. <laughs> so they said, uh, we'll start you out with transistor radios, and you can flood the market on it. And we'll just little tiny cars, Toyotas, and we'll let you import them. Now, that was just a run-up to what's going on now. Who knows what sort of nanotechnologies they're into beyond IBO and the little... Um, different uh, robots that we see on YouTube uh, that are coming out of University of Kyoto. They're just starting. But as we alluded to earlier, and um, this is where I'm going with this, is that this is a response to the radical depopulation, not just of Japan, but of the entire world. Their workaround, their solution is not to bring large numbers of non-Japanese in as workers, but to create... Uh, robotic assistance, right? We're already seeing right. that happen. That is their solution to Fukushima, to whatever new assaults that will be generated by HARP or other terroristic attacks on uh, Japan and the Japanese people. Yeah, that's really interesting because, uh, you know, you, you <laughs> there's just so many tie-ins. There's a video I made about the 2020 Tokyo Olympics and the technology that they want to display at the games in 2020 are uh, what they have planned anyway <clears throat> is really interesting they have <clears throat> excuse me they have a uh, they're going to have a village full of robots olympic village is going to be filled with robots helping people <clears throat> with direction and uh where to go what to do you know uh, they're going to have little translator boxes um that you know people can speak into so they can communicate with other you know people from other countries and stuff like that uh, they're going to have autonomous cars throughout the entire city. Um, they're doing all these sort of, you know, a couple of the environmental playing on the whole. We got to, you know, control our climate, that sort of thing with, uh, mm-hmm. I, think, I think they're making algae fuel that to, to bring all the people uh, from all over the world to the Olympics. So 2020 is going to be interesting because they're, they're definitely going to show some, 
uh, you know, the Olympics being that sort of new world order system thing that we've, you know, everyone's been talking about recently with the opening ceremony, but, uh, being the, the reality of it, um, I think will be on display big time in Japan in 2020. They even have a, a I think it's like a 60 foot or a hundred foot statue of Gundam, which is a very uh-huh. popular, uh, Ooh. Japanese anime. And I mean, I mean, they, you know, they idolize that, you know, the anime culture and it's spreading. It's huge in America now. I mean, I didn't oh, realize yeah. that, uh, there's a whole fanboy culture, Comic-Con, which I have to go to one day. I keep promising myself, but yeah, it's become uh, huge industries with uh, animation or anime and uh, games in particular. Uh, I'm studying some of the pioneers of video game music, you know, those little irritating sounds and, <laughs> And uh, arcade games, uh, Namco, uh, as well as the the home units they have there. All this is studied uh, rigorously and seriously by people at the University of Tokyo, and they're studying human behavior. Right. Just like you got the anthropologists down there in Rio, or or they're going to be in Tokyo. Or they were at Sochi. They're everywhere. They're studying a crowd and human behavior, and there's they also they have data now. They have big data, as they call it, uh, to help them in, uh, to figure out how to uh, direct the the culture and society and the political system in the future. We're nothing but a bunch of experimental test subjects for the social scientists. That's not why they can launch these giant extravaganza that don't make money, whether it's in Beijing or or um, some other supposedly world-class city. It's there because it's part of this large, and you put this in your piece that I encourage your viewers to watch. It's all part of this um, social science uh, experiment called... Um, human society yeah and, and we've talked about even the digital aspect and basil we we we'd had a really early episode where we talked about what's called the world sentient simulation where basically they have you know a, a virtual version of us in this sort of parallel virtual world and we feed the data of that person and they can predict our movements and things like that you know so so that sort of thing has been going on for a while which is really Disturbing, but in terms of Japan, one of the biggest companies that that has crossed over and is still, you know, they, there's they, they've gone through ups and downs, but they're still one of the foundations of video game culture is Nintendo, oh, and yeah. uh, they're back in the news with, uh, well, sort of in the news with the whole Pokemon Go thing recently. But um, I had heard you talk a little bit about some possible connections to Freemasons there uh, with some of the uh, people in Nintendo. I don't know if you've been able to nail some of those things down, but you made some speculations on that. Can you touch on that? I can't remember specifically if any mentioned. Well, I talked. I did talk about Nintendo and and, and their history. They they started. There's a. I don't know if you know the game. It's Hanafuda. It's by gamblers, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's used by gamblers. For, it's a betting game. Um, they use flowers and right. They used to use trump card. I think they were they were banned because of the anti-Western sentiment. So they went to Hanafuda. But that's where um, um, that's where Nintendo started. So. It, it started out in sort of the Yakuza world, and I'm, I don't know this for sure, I haven't read this anywhere, but I suspect that the, the guy who founded the company was connected with high-level liberal democratic uh, party and slash Yakuza type people right. who run the pachinko parlors as well. And they're also Korean, by the way, they're ethnic Korean, so maybe the head of uh, Nintendo was, and I just mentioned this because, you know, it's it's the fruit of the poison tree, right? 
that, that principle. But the Freemasonic element comes in. If I, I can take it back even further and give it more of a, a broad uh, brush, if you like, because we're talking about um, the occult and these crypto histories that I'm trying to... And by the way, I teach a class in Japanese-American historical experience. I go back to Japan to the mid-19th century, uh, where the West, quote-unquote, kind of opened up Japan. That was with... Uh, uh, Commodore Perry, Admiral Perry, right? right? Yeah, yeah. I had a suspicion, and, and and this is based on years and years of research and and experience and observation. I said, "Damn, I bet Commodore Perry is a Freemason." So I checked, and sure enough, he was. Yeah, yeah. You can pretty much whenever you have a suspicion, you can pretty much be uh, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> pretty much be guaranteed. So he went in there with the express purpose of busting up Japan, just like they do to other sovereign nations, so they can rebuild it for right. profit and control. But even right. prior to that, you had uh, Francis Xavier, who was a Portuguese um, uh, Jesuit priest, who was who went in there and uh, made nice nice with Oda uh, Nobunaga who gave him a franchise down in uh, Nagasaki. And then the uh, the Dutch traders who are Protestants said, hey, Shogun, Daimyo, Mr. Daimyo, do you don't want these people there? They're mischief makers. They right. screwed up every society where they've been allowed to to, to, to plunk in their uh, little claws or tentacles. So they kicked them out of there, and that was like 250 years of uh, Sakoku. It's called a closed c- country. I think it was uh, Ieyasu, Tokugawa. And so he had 250 years of independent development technologically and culturally. It was like what we typically see as traditional Japanese culture. It was mostly Tokugawa because they got rid of these Jesuits. Nice. As well as the Freemasonic forces. But they never went away. They never do go away. Right. <laughs> and I've been doing some interesting research on the... Because, on, I'm, you know, the emperor looks like he might be... Um, uh, Stepping down, which is unprecedented. You're supposed to die, just like the Pope in, in, in right. on, the, on the throne. But he's making some noises. That, hey, man, I'm you know I don't really feel that well. <laughs> this is um, Akihito Tenno uh, Emperor, right? So he might step down. So I've been kind of revisiting that, and and I remember reading about this uh, a long time ago. But yeah, I was confirming. I was reading about uh, Masako, who was uh, who. Uh, was a commoner, but a high-level commoner. Her father was the head of the foreign ministry, career diplomat service. Uh, and they brought her in to uh, help to uh, re-strengthen the bloodline, I guess. And then she has been mentally ill for the past 20, 30 years or so. She's hardly comes out. She's a you know complete basket case uh, from, from what we understand. Right. And, you know, I feel sorry for her as being sort of a prisoner of that system. But the point I'm trying to make is that uh, the Empress Dowager uh, had, um, or even the, the one of the emperors had uh, uh, Roman Catholic um, uh, nursemaids and uh, are Roman Catholic themselves. And uh, Masako, the Princess Masako, Emperor, uh, she, the Princess Masako went to uh, a Catholic school, a Jesuit school, right? And this wow. is in a country where Roman Catholics are really, really few in number. It's mostly Buddhist or Shinto, and it's kind of a secular society other than birth and death and, and marriage. It's not really riven by these religious animosities that, that other countries are. Right. They're pretty cool about it. But the but Roman Catholics and the Jesuits in the Pacific have power and control and, and access uh, far larger than their, their few numbers. So that's the point I wanted to make. 
Whether Nintendo's involved with that uh, specifically or not, um, uh, I don't know. Hmm. You know, we'll we'll see. Now they use the po- the Pokemon figure, but I understand the the actual game makers. What were uh, some other company, Niamco or Trianco Niantic. or what is it called? Niantic, which Niantic? is an offshoot. Yeah, offshoot of Google, I think. Uh, right, they went indie on this, so it's basically a uh, NSA operation, right? right? Yeah, pretty much. Right. Yeah, nice. so yeah, Niantic, Satanic, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and they said, "Well, hey, you know, we also we'll we'll put it in the people's face here with Pokemon Go because we uh, the Pokemon company themselves, the animators, did that." That little uh, seizure episode, remember? Well, I yeah. don't know if you do remember. But it, it was a long time ago, but yeah, It's a remember. long time ago. Most people do not remember that they were already experimenting on us 20 years ago. Right, yeah, yeah, and, and the, the colors flashing and people fainting. And, exactly, yeah. and yeah, I think I you can that. find that on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I think I downloaded it. I'm <laughs> show people before it goes into the memory hole. Yeah, they did this psyops on little children, little rugrats. Right. They made them go into epileptic uh, seizures, and they said, yeah, well, let's file this one away. This can come in handy a little bit later. Right. And, yeah. you know, th- I remember even also just touching on Japan and some of the, the elite there. Uh, Miyuki Hatayoma, who was the wife of former prime minister of Japan, uh, yeah. Yukio Hatoyama. Uh, what is it? Yukio Hatoyama. Uh-huh. They called him E.T., by the way. Yeah. And she, she came out, I think it was like 2009 or 2008, the story came out that claimed in a book quote while my body was asleep i think my soul rode on a triangular shaped ufo and went to venus it was very beautiful place and it was very green and so (laughs) so, and so you know just just to show that there is this connection to the occult to that sort of thing this this vivid dream of astral travel that kind of stuff ties right into some of the you know mk ultra and some of these mind control experiments that we've seen or and documented in america so it's really fascinating to hear you know a prime minister's wife come out and say that she wrote a a triangular shaped ufo you know so there's fingerprints all over the place uh when it comes to this sort of um you know uh, the occultism the dark side having its influence in uh, Do you elite. think that she might have been a my lab or mill lab military lab adoptee that time? Oh, because you know there's 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 U.S. military and intelligence and mind control bases all over Japan. I told you I was in Okinawa back in 2004. The whole island is in whole intelligence. It's not just a spy station uh, directed towards China and the East China Sea and, and North Korea, but it uh, mind control as well as nuclear experimentation and and the, which they're not supposed to do according to the treaties. Uh, it's really, really prevalent. So uh, the whole MILAB, have you heard of this, MILAB? MILAB? Yeah, 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 MILAB, okay. yeah. It's, uh, it's taking on some interesting um, uh, inertia here in the U.S., but I, I think the country that they really need to look at, and this is going to, I don't know if you have any Japanese listeners, I hope you do, and if you do, I'm going to go visit them personally and talk to them and, and do projects with them because I need their help. But I think they're... Uh, their research lies in military ab- abduction in Japan by mm, interesting. Uh, into mil- U.S. military bases. And we're talking about military bases. We're not just talking about what you see at ground level or through through Google Earth or through space right. satellite. We're talking about underground cities that go on multiple stories. And the Japanese were already into tunneling. It's a small island, right? And you've been to Japan, right? I'm sure. Yeah, it's been so a long time. So you know what the subway system's like. Oh my gosh, yes. It's you, crazy. You could 
lived there for a year, which I want to do as a as an art project. Lived in, <laughs> in the subway system without coming to the surface for an entire year, eating bento and uh, and uh, just periscope and the whole experience. Iced tea, yeah, and using and taking the hobo baths down in the very clean bathrooms, public restrooms. But so so they're into tunneling um, and they're into the technology and, and making sure that the water, the seawater, doesn't get. You know, get in there and flood. It's very sophisticated. So I think that's Japan is a really fertile ground for this type of research. But you know what they're giving us instead? They're giving us Pokemon. They're giving <laughs> us fanboys. They're giving us cosplay. Oh man, those people, those jerks, those clowns, those posers, those poor, delete, deluded cosplayers. Don't have a clue of what Japan is like, is really like. And I've been there, you know, and I guess the last time was about two years ago. And I usually go, you know, uh, go through Tokyo and I just see more and more fanboys and women, you know, from other countries riding around in costumes. Like, what world do you live in, girl? What do you think in terms of Japan's sort of involvement in um, major events, especially in the 20th century? Uh, mm. Let's, uh, you know, we have Pearl Harbor. You mentioned that, uh, you know, just as a joke. But like, do you have Pearl Harbor? You also have the, the you know, the the uh, the bombs that were dropped, um, but also recently with the nuclear reactor going down. Do these things have some sort of purpose for the greater agenda? Well, Fukushima, as you're alluding to, definitely has, uh, and, and not all the uh, information is on on that, but uh, from sources that I trust and from my own independent study. And by the way, I went to Fukushima uh, the year after it happened, and um, I didn't see any buildings uh, really destroyed, at least in the areas that I went to. When you have usually have an earthquake, uh, the devastation is uh pretty widespread, because I've been through uh, areas where they have uh, earthquakes, not in the Kobe area, Hanshin earthquake, that happened the year after I, I finished my full ride. So, but anyway, because um, so, so, you know, I don't have the time to go, or the expertise to go into it very thoroughly, but but uh, Fukushima was definitely a, um, a warning and a message to, to Japan that you were going to subscribe and participate fully in the role that we have cast for you in this new world order system. When I say who's we, these are the top level Illuminatus, right? They're, and they're organized along family lines. And right. this would include uh, probably the imperial family. Yeah. Now that's, that's an imperial family I'd be afraid of. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really interesting too, because in, a, in our email exchange, I kind of mentioned it, but part of the research, and, and you can see this in one of my presentations that I did a couple years ago, but uh, in writing a book about uh, the secret space program and how would they fund this, you know, huge underground operation. And some good researchers are suggesting that perhaps it comes from this thing called Operation Golden Lily, where basically they took all the, the loot, the looting Japan did of China uh, from all the treasures that came through the Silk Road for, you know, hundreds of years. And Japan looted all of it and they had possession of it and they were keeping it in the uh, Philippine Islands uh, during the war, and the plan was from the emperor, the directions were, you know, to uh, once the war is over, to uh, you know, get the treasures, and bring it back to Japan. So they buried all this treasure, and the U.S. got wind of it, and there's a whole drama that plays out, you know, and um, the, the, MacArthur being one of the main players. But then once the United States found out about it, 
they seem to have, and there's no concrete evidence, but what's suggested by, you know, some alternative researchers is that the emperor of Japan, you know, colluded with the, the United States intelligence agencies to locate the treasures and to split it or whatever it was. And, um, that seems to be a big proponent of how, you know, how to fund dark underground operations, you know, if, if it's not going to go public. And that's when the International Monetary Fund was conveniently created and all the, the CIA was created and all these institutions sprang up out of nowhere. Um, it just seems to be too much of a coincidence with all that stuff. But what's your take on that? Some of those elements of, of history that, you know, aren't really discussed necessarily in uh, your typical history book. Not at all. They're too interested in cosplay, I guess. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry for <laughs> dwelling on that, but I ran into some guy in the Japanese department, UC Davis, and he teaches us the Japanese film class. The guy doesn't know anything about about anything. He's just pandering to the the uh, the, the the little taste of his little fanboys and fans <laughs> who are into that kind of stuff. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, for the benefit of your audience, the 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 text that describes in depth what Gans just uh, previewed is Gold Warriors by Sterling and Peggy Seagrave. You got to read that book. It is incredible. Yeah. I'm surprised that no Hollywood producer has jumped on that one. Maybe they have, but they were warned off of it by this, you know, by the men in black, right? Yeah. It's maybe, but it's maybe too it's much truth. It's pretty there. well known. Yeah. Yeah. It's well known. That's why I'm kind of like, I wonder why yeah, more I people write don't that talk about it. Play. Yeah. That'd be fun. Hook me up with an agent. Yeah, uh, that's Asian, but not Asian. Uh, well, that could be both. But <laughs> uh, someone, someone who's who, who knows the shot callers. This man, you know, I'm not making it in academia. <laughs> it's just not. It's just not doing it for me anymore. So but showbiz anyway, is for you. Uh, writing is for me. So uh, fiction, like I say, fiction is very powerful, and if whatever form it takes, film, television. Netflix, HBO, you know, yeah. I, I forced myself to watch Mr. Robot, right? Yeah, there's, I saw but, season one. And there's just the fat little Japanese guy there. He's always feeding his face. He's, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Didn't you guys grow up with Asians when you were a kid? <laughs> this well, doesn't look like any Asian like, I've ever known. This is like 2016, you know, and you got some, <laughs> some guy who's got Asperger's syndrome. Is is like, he is a Mr. Robot. Anyway, I watched that and it got boring after three episodes, so I'm not going to watch it anymore. Oh, there's some good twists in there, I, I will say. I'm not going to recommend it because it's there's some pretty vulgar scenes and stuff, but uh, interesting twists. And one of the things with anime, it, it's interesting, <laughs> right? And it's, it's part of this whole conversation, but... The thing, the thing that I think is strange about anime, and it's sort of, it goes back to that, that ninja sneaky thing. Cartoons are mostly been portrayed, especially in the West here, as something for children, right? Kids watch uh, uh. animations, but the, but you know, slowly the themes of these animes are really, really heavy stuff. And, yeah. and, uh, I mean, I, I think I was probably traumatized by watching some, some, you know, not appropriate anime early on in my youth you know there's blood guts and gore in, in some of the bigger shows now uh mm -hmm. which is sort of part of the norm um but also you know very psychological I, I don't know if you've seen um i think it's called lane it's a it's a oh yeah yeah it's yeah. very popular early 1990s or mid 1990s yeah. they were on it i mean they they talked about this whole global, yeah and, and the the global internet network system the wired becoming, society yeah it's really bizarre that they would be 
so in tune with all that. No, they, they knew it was coming down. It's it's what what they call predictive programming. Right, right? exactly. So it's, they had to like uh, ease it in there, and this is this is the way to do it. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's just interesting that that Japan's Japan. been on the you know. forefront of that, and then for America to soak it up and to see it spread so much, it's it's just a very interesting phenomenon. You know, being growing up, being the kid that always got the VHS tapes from Japan with all the shows, right? And all my mm-hmm. friends wanted to come over to to watch the Japanese shows. Um, so to, you were cool. I was the cool guy. Yeah, I was. I was. The the when I was growing up, I was the I was the the member of the hated race. <laughs> That's <laughs> a generational difference. You know, you know what though? That's I, why I got a big chip on my shoulder. Yeah, I will. I will say this, and I'll share this with the, the Canary Cry audience as well. Um, because, because, you know, we've talked about this, Basil, we get some hate, you know, on YouTube and and stuff like that. Good. Um, bring the hate. So I I was with somebody on hate. I eat it for lunch, (laughs) breakfast and dinner. I was with someone recently who, um, is, uh, is, is close to me as a family member, but he comes from a different generation Mm -hmm. and, and I'm sitting and I told you this story, Basil, right? I'm sitting next to him. He, he's, he was, he's much older. He was born in, um, I think he was born in the 30s. So, you know, different culture, different generation of growing up. I, I don't think he considers me Asian for some reason. <laughs> and we were having this conversation and he's talking about some of the, the, the tourist areas of the, of the place we were at. And he says, this is his exact quote, the Asians go off the path and they go pick ferns. The Asians go pick ferns. And I'm sitting there. <laughs> I'm sitting there. I've always said that about the Asians. <laughs> and, and I'm looking and I'm looking at I'm looking at, you know, some some of my family and they're looking at me going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe he just said that. And but i understand it's a generational thing, but it's there. And it's Asians a real, love to pick ferns. Apparently I mean. we like to go off trails uh, <laughs> at big national parks and go pick ferns. But but I, I mean yeah. maybe he was like rehearsing a haiku in this out loud or something. That's what it sounds. <laughs> but I mean, for me, you know, being in the generation that I'm in, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, this is a different. There's, there's a generation gap, an obvious generation gap. Mm-hmm. He he lived. Those are through, cool. I like it. Yeah, he lived through the you know the heart of World War Two. I think he was a teenager, you know, going through World War II, that kind of thing. So it's yeah. it's got an it had an impact on him. Um, the propaganda that was on display in the United States about you know the Japanese uh, in that in that time. Obviously, some people bought it. The 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 sort of stigma remains. There's a residue uh, out there a little bit. I, I remember as a kid, people saying that you know uh, you can't come over to my house because my grandpa will get mad. Uh, you know, he turns off. TV commercials when he sees Japanese cars, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, really? That's, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to hurt anybody. Um, but I, well, I, I always say that. He was, he was in the Pacific War, Pacific Theater, no doubt. I mean, I was, I was visiting playmates whose father were probably fighting Japanese. <laughs> I didn't realize it, but for some reason, they're always uh, nice and kind to you, I guess, because I was a kid, you know. So yeah, about, maybe it disarms not, some of that. He's pretty harmless. Right. But and, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I, and I, w- I would imagine that it was much more intense for you. Oh, if it's you, very intense. You grew up in, in closer to that time period. So Yeah, I think I'm over it, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we're uh, we're, we're all yeah. sort of uh, distracted to death by all these yeah, games got, and stuff. Yeah, we got too much going on. <laughs> So I'm I'm curious because we get a lot of emails and things about how to share certain things with friends, family, and whomever. Um, but you know, as we said before, sorry, I got a cat attacking me. <laughs> cat, stop it! He's the um, weird 
creepy hey, cat. This cat. is the weird cat. It's a new cat. Oh gosh. Um, okay. So, and uh, y- your next book it r- includes NWO theory for students. Mm-hmm. Now, now we get a lot of people asking us like, what's the best way to talk about this with people? What's the best way? How do I even approach this with people? Uh, you know, without immediately becoming a crazy person. Now I I've noticed over the span of our conversation that you refer to it as NWO theory, uh, which, you know, is kind of an academic thing. I mean, you, uh, in my experience academics put theory on the end of everything uh, that a lot (laughs) that a lot of people you know kind of take as fact but you just kind of put it as theory just you know i think that's just an academic intellectual thing the theory theory. my strategy there there you go there you go so it's very sneaky goes back Mm -hmm. to the sneaky thing you're an academic ninja Mm -hmm. so now, NWO for th- the theory for students, I mean, the, uh, are, you, are you putting it in a way? Uh, could you possibly be saying these things in a way that will be understandable to the common student? What is the well, deal yeah. here? Well, this go- harkens back to what we were talking about generations, right? Your, your cohort, the millennials, and I hate the term, but the post-college people in their 30s, I really want to target them with my message the older ones, you know, we can pretty much write them off. They're invested in whatever you know, they're involved with. But the ones that are still searching and probing, the ones in your audience, your demographic, as they say in communication studies, that's what I want. Because that's what I have in my classroom, but 10 years before they're able to understand what I'm saying. See, right, I'm getting right, them a yeah. little bit too young because they haven't had enough seasoning, enough heartbreak, and enough real-world experience and getting their butt kicked around a little bit, right? But I know it's going to happen. Everybody, you know, there's no escaping it. So when I say students, I'm talking about anybody from 18 to 30, 35. By that time, you know, you should have your, your uh, act together. And I'm so it's a, it's a generational approach. And I'm, and that's why I need to, to study the best possible video games on the best possible platform and learn about Mr. Robot and all, all the other uh, aspects of uh, what is called youth culture. I don't use that term. I think it's, it was used to manipulate young people to corral right. them. Um, and there was big money. I know that because there's big foundation money to create youth culture studies mm. to ghettoize them further. Because as Gans was was alluding to, we really learned from people who were born in 1930, 1950. And as someone who was a, a baby boomer, I talk to my students now, they look at me like I'm a two-headed monster. And it's not because I spout New World Order theory. It's because they don't know how to talk to adults. They have a really, they, I don't think they can talk to you gentlemen. They would see you as old men who should just die. Uh, yeah, God I feel like it sometimes. Old. Because they were raised on, on pretty little liars. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's true. I met one student. She was from China, and her name was Aria. And I said, oh, that's such a beautiful name. It's so musical, so operatic. And she, and I, and she says, well, I got it from watching little, Pretty Little Liars in China. And I go, oh, my gosh. Wow. Because <laughs> wow. she's one of the characters, right? Uh, Lucy, you forgot her last name. That's uh, something her. or other. I'm not familiar so, with that but one. But you know Zoko, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Really, I mean, I, I haven't really watched sweet. it, but. Oh, you got to watch it. Oh, well, I don't know <laughs> if I got to, but. <laughs> this is where the 20-somethings that hate you two guys for, for, for being in their spot, having yeah. your own show. Yeah, that's you, true. That's where they're coming from. 
right? So, so now even more. Now, I, I uh, what kind of a uh, what's the, so uh, this is NWO theory for students. I mean, what yeah. sort of strategies are used? I mean, is it just in language? Is there a is there a, 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 a it's popular a, culture a, a way you just apply it to popular culture? Well, popular culture are my case studies, my examples of Got how it. it operates. Okay, right. that makes so sense. So we move from the popular culture, like Pokemon Go, I don't know specifically, but that's just using it as an example, or, or Nintendo, or fashion, something really innocuous that they never thought, or My Little Pony, you know? the, the right. uh, That's a whole the other little, thing. Oh, yeah. The little brony culture and all that, you right. know, all that kind of stuff. The cartoons, the Cartoon Network, <coughs> Family Guy, Sean McFarlane, right? Seth McFarlane, yeah. So I, I would like your your audience to put put the movies and shows and, and uh, media material, popular culture that I need to look at. You know, it's really interesting because I will because, do it because uh, that's part of the fun of, of doing these type of projects is to educate myself to learn. I don't want to just spout out stuff that I already know. I want to I want to share my discoveries, my insights with you. Right, and it's challenging because. The trends change so quickly. You know, it's like yeah, the next thing, the I next like thing, it. the next thing. By the time you do a, a breakdown of, of one thing, you know, people don't care about it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, but which the is theoretical principles will still obtain. Exactly. And I, that, you know. I hope people see that because what I see a lot in, in, you know, the YouTube space, which is, I understand, and I know you understand this, the audience understand this. It's, it's a, it's a cesspool. It's, it's like, it's just terrible. Mm-hmm. the comments you see and stuff like that although there are good ones there there are mm-hmm. good dialogues that do take place on, on youtube so i don't want to completely dismiss it but a lot of comments that i'll get if i address a popular cultural topic i, I made a video about pokemon go right mm-hmm. right when it hit because i i played it i you know i said my two cents or whatever and then all the information came out about the the spying and all that stuff mm-hmm. i i addressed the the augmented reality portion of it you know and how it's being disseminated into pop culture basically Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, people were like, within a couple weeks, people were like, "Oh, we're moving on to the next thing," or we'll talk about this other thing. And it's like, well, guys, it, it, the principles are the same. You know, if you mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. see it, the reason why it seems like we're making these videos, the same videos about all these different topics, is because the principles are the same, and that's what we're trying to point out. That's you know? why I need to write the book. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a short. I'm going to try to keep it under 100 pages. It's going to be a chapbook that you can put in your backpack and just kind of uh, breeze through it while you're standing in line instead of looking in your cell phone. And so you can have some basic principles, uh, the grid, the plan, right? Not too in depth. I'll do that in subsequent volumes so that they can take all these disparate phenomena that are hitting us left and right, right? Just, just always, you know, every week, there's something new that we have to try to figure out. But the principles will, will obtain and they'll figure out how not to be crushed by this overwhelming barrage of cultural and social programming. Right. And instead, I would like them to follow your pattern, Basil Guns, like doing your own it doesn't have to be a, a podcast or a vidcast, but an own independent business. Right. Designing, creating. You can still do that in America. It doesn't require a lot. It requires initiative, which people seem to have lost, especially, and I've addressed the Asian American ones. They're going for the safe professions or what they thought were safe. But I'm trying to say there is no safety, not in the new economy. Quite the opposite. We've already discussed it. They're trying to eradicate us. Mm-hmm. let alone building up new industry. And my profession, 
only 30% of them are, ten, are of my, my peers are tenured or tenure track professors. The rest of them are part-timers. Hmm. 70%. Wow. Is that by force or are they? No, it, it, yeah, it is. It's by the plan. It's by plan. Yeah. It's to degrade the education. It's to dis- discipline the remaining people like myself to shut up. Don't get into areas that you don't belong, like New World Order theory. Don't criticize Monsanto or Big Pharma or chemtrails. And don't tell your Asian-American students who are going into the the chemical and biological warfare areas that they should not. <laughs> it's not a really good idea to do that. Don't do that. Right. Because you can be in the unemployment line. You should be thankful you have a job. I said, I earned this job. I'm a citizen. My people earned this job. I'm here. I'm not going nowhere. And I'm going to get louder and more aggressive <laughs> to, to get the word out. And you know what? People like that. They want it. They need it. They love me. <laughs> the more you hate me, Linda Katehi, Maureen Stanton, Richard Kim, Nolan. These are all my antagonists. Dropping Susan names. Hunter. Yeah. I, I name name. The more you hate me, the more love I get from the people <laughs> who want to hear about New World Order Theory and want to figure out how they're going to navigate this life. These are my people. Right. Right. I'm going to help. I'm going to share the knowledge that I have that I have because I work for this for the people of the state of California. I don't work for any of these jokers. Right. right? And, and I was going to say that, you know, writing a book, a paperback, although paperback does have its place, it seems like uh uh, and I'm curious, since you're at the university level, I'm sure things have changed since I was there about 10 years ago. Is everything on um, digital devices and iPads and, you know, yes. so everybody's got their device the now? syllabi and everything. It's called a smart site and all the grades. Everything is done through, uh, you know, electronically. And eventually, uh, most professors are going to be replaced by apps. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you don't really need, and you know that's oh, true too be because uh, like Pokemon Go, <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon teaching them. Yeah, you got to yeah, catch yeah. all your professors. Yeah, because they've already been programmed. You have, you know, the first generation uh, that I'm teaching now. That that's their uh, milieu. That's their environment. They yeah. grew up in that world. That's so true. I'm a relic, and they want me to die. <laughs> but I'm saying, hey, ladies and gentlemen. You know, let's read Dante's Inferno. This guy was laying it down <laughs> centuries ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's read uh, Paradise Lost by John Milton. Let's get through some of the beautiful language there. And, man, the guy decided, hey, I'm going to write in free verse. I'm not going to rhyme because I'm about freedom. I said, wow, what a great aesthetic decision. I learned that just recently. Right. You no. Know? So I said, these people... We're the original uh, cosplayers. <laughs> right. They're much cooler than ever you'll ever hope to be by going to Comic-Con and listen to uh, some clown uh, who specializes in, in the uh, aesthetics of comic. What's the guy's name? Kevin Smith. There you go. Well, there definitely needs to be some sort of, you know, exodus from the, the Pokemon Go world into uh, a little bit more serious, you know, just, I don't know, literature or research or whatever, just things that are more real, I guess. Now, I want to take yeah. a little, I want to take a little bit of a left turn here Please. and uh, 
please forgive me, but <clears throat> let's get a little bit back more into the geopolitical situation. Now, right. I, I mentioned a little bit before that when we think of the NWO or the Illuminati or things like that, we, we think more about uh, the Vatican and we think about, you know, the, uh, the, the British Empire and we think about um, all those sorts of things. It's mostly just a bunch of white guys we think of, uh, if I'm being honest. Now, as far as the NWO, or even more specifically, what we call the Illuminati, uh, the presence in the East, the the Asian countries, the Asian leadership, I mean, there's it's got to be going on there, too, especially now with China, uh, you know, joining in with the whole ISIS debacle situation, you know, and, and we've all seen articles about that. I mean, how, how do you see, as far as the NWO, the elite, the Illuminati, the uh, what is the tentacles what what does that look like as far as structurally in the east and how do you see that playing out uh i mean specifically i'd like you to reference this this china isis uh, engagement if you have some if you have some insight on that or something uh china isis engagements you mean isis is in china now (laughs) china has have a muslim population in the uh in the far far west Right. Well, unless I'm mistaken, uh, last I heard, China has now engaged in, I believe, the Middle East, joining the fight against oh, ISIS really? when did in that, that whole happen? geopolitical situation. I, I hope I got that right. Am I right, Gans? You might be right. I thought Russia was on was on its own, but uh, right. Well, I think Russia and China got some things going on that we well, don't you know, know about. They're, they're building the uh, geopolitical Silk Road economy, so I, that that would make sense with me. I didn't know. Right. China. I thought I thought China was. Uh, was patrolling the South China Sea and the Spratleys and the Parasol to kind of flex their muscles. To yeah, well, their little sea lanes there, but they, they certainly have their own thing going on. But what about the NWO and as far as the Illuminati and this elite so concerns? Yeah, how did I mean? Does that is there a presence there in the East? I got a specific example for you, and that's what I like. There you go. It's hidden in plain sight. And I was just reading about this character. I've read about him before, and um, I was doing some brush-up work on this guy. But it's uh, it's uh, Kalergi. You know the Kalergi plan of bringing all the unlike people up into Europe? Yeah, to- those, those listeners who have not heard of it, why don't you give them a little... Well, little, there's, uh, there's an award in Angela Merkel, who's a PhD in chemistry, by the way, um, uh, was the recipient of the Kalergia uh, Award, which is given every year. But he's a um, uh, European Union. He's a globalist. He's a New World Order type. But his whole platform is to uh, interbreed all the different people, diverse uh, societies and culture on the world, into one race. Uh, of course, there'll be one race beyond that, and that'll be the ruling elite, probably, right? But he himself is the product of a uh, elite uh, Austrian a diplomat and a Japanese woman uh, who uh, he brought with, with him to um, to Austria, I guess. And uh, this guy, Ricard, is their, ch- their child. And that's been his platform all the way along. So you have people who have um, been given orders to find Asian female spouses so that they can um, hybridize themselves. On the pop culture level, we had the Tiger Mama the Tiger Mom deal with Amy Chua, right? Sure. 
and her husband, and then in the world of IT, and he's not the only one, but he's the most prominent, you had the pairing of uh, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Priscilla Chan. That's oh, right. I've never right, even thought right. of it that way. And then before yeah, that, you had Uncle uh, Rupert Murdoch and um, Wendy Ding. Wow. Who's communist. She comes from communist uh, connected family ties there. So you see this hybridization. Japan was doing it before. There was a thinker called uh, Nitobe Inazo. He wrote a book called Bushido, who married a uh, uh, either European or white American woman. And his deal was that, yes, Japan has to hybridize itself. And this might come as a surprise to a lot of listeners here because you think that, well, these people are racist or they're, they're uh, insular or they just believe in endogamy. No, the elite class are very much uh, involved and interested in uh, heterodox ideas, whether it's Roman Catholicism and Jewitism, uh, uh, Jesuit tutors and counselors and um, teachers and um, intellectuals in the court level, or uh, internationally, right? Sure. That was, I think that was part of the idea of um, the current Princess Masako when her father sent her uh, overseas is that uh, she was going to get married to a, uh, an American because she, she studied, uh, I think, international relations in, at Harvard. Yeah. But she didn't do it. You know, she wanted to remain independent, and then eventually she got roped into marrying into the uh, imperial family. Right. So amongst the elite... Um, they 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 don't really respect the the racial and ethnic and national lines that the the commoners do. We're much more into that than the uh, elites. They're they're into uh, consolidating uh, power yeah. control. You and know that's interesting. Control. It's interesting because it seems like uh, the nationalism and the the racism and things like that is pushed upon, as you say, the commoners and things like that. And sure, yeah. we sort of, we sort of assume that's being pushed upon us by some sort of elite agenda or something like that. And maybe it's a short sighted thing. Maybe like, especially the, you know, the, the race relations or just the, the, the explosion of, uh, racial tensions that are going on, at least in America right now, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of us tend to think that, hey, that's, uh, you know, a certain amount of that is either being exaggerated or, you know, fabricated or you know, whatever. To, it was to, manufactured. I and mean, we know that right. George Soros and his so-called color, color revolution uh, pattern, his playbook was being used in Ferguson and other places. They have the money. Uh, his uh, One of the people, the, the sponsors of Black Lives Matter, owns and lives uh, in a Soros-owned home, right? Right. So this right. is done locally, it's done nationally, it's done internationally, it's done to different regimes. And that's why I kind of jokingly said earlier, I said, I'm going to drop the Asian-American reference <laughs> to myself <coughs> because I've outgrown it. And it's been weaponized, yeah. too. It's been used against us. Right. So do you think maybe that that is a short-term plan? Like p- p- perhaps all this racial tension is being manufactured to a certain degree uh, in order to maybe... Uh, develop a culture that then, you know, maybe encourages the uh, your values more. The inter uh, interracial, yeah, meddling. inter interracial uh, pr- 
procreation as you know to to, to gain that effect of uh, you know well that'll happen at the managerial you know university educated and elite levels but the amongst the rioters uh, they're just going to try to they meaning the social social scientists uh, and uh, it's called the Human Terrain Project, by the way. Human, human Terrain, yeah, project. I think it came out of Vietnam. They figured they workshopped this back in the '60s. How to create these disturbances? For the time being, the Human Terrain Project is going to be exacerbated. It's going to be fueled. It's going to be funded, and they're going to um, pick uh, selected poverty pimps, university. Quote, I, I run into these characters all the time. By the way, they like to call themselves organizers. So that's a that's a buzzword. If you hear someone who describes himself an organizer, they're one of these Soros-funded uh, operatives who think that they're communists or uh, socialist or revolutionary workers' party type people. But they're they're dupes. Right. They're there to create social chaos. They're there to hate anybody who makes a dollar more than themselves, who's five or ten years older than them, because they have a job, or they their situation, you know might be marginally better than there. It's just a, a, a whole range of resentments that are being manufactured and engineered. And it's unnecessary because there's plenty of jobs, there's plenty of work, there's plenty of labor, there's plenty of resources that are available, contrary to what the new generation, the ones that I'm writing the book for, are being told that everything's in scarce short supply. There's no job. There's no resources. Running out of oxygen. When you flush the toilet, it disappears into outer space. Right. Where the truth of the matter is, is that there's not one single less molecule of H2O in the world than there was at the time of creation. Right. Now, there is pollution. I understand that. But we have a whole generation who has been taught hate, 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 strife, conflict, tension, identity, Asian American, African American, you know, all of that. And it's part of a larger control grid. And the university is at the center of it. And that's why I hate to keep coming back to my own situation, but that's the reason why they are persecuting me and targeting me because I've called BS on it and said, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to move away from these old worn out models they're not just old and antique they're destructive and they're right. self-destructive and even if you live in a little college town called davis california you're not going to be able to escape it it's coming after you the yeah. university itself is run by these globalists monsanto syngenta they own these departments to their disbursement of grants Right. Through the career path. And I was hard with the understanding that I was going to pacify the little Oriental people so that they can get their little advanced degrees and don a little medical jacket with a little embroidered name on it so that they can pimp out pharmaceuticals. Mm. And I said, no, thank you. Oh, so glad I didn't I'm get into that. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, it's uh, the university thing is so interesting to me because uh, uh, recently uh, UC Irvine. Um, the ant eaters, Zot Zot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they do have a cool nickname. I have to hand it. <laughs> um, the the story when I was there was that uh, the the second closest name that to you know to to ant eater was uh, unicorns. So we were almost the unicorns. <laughs> oh I don't know if that's gosh. true. Uh, that is hilarious. And, and the other the other big joke was that the, the, they had the money 
to either build a football stadium or a library. So they chose library. I don't know. You've been there. The he- huge oh, yeah. library, right? It's the size of a I football stadium. I was at the stadium. old one, though. The, the original oh, the old, was, the old library. Yeah, yeah, they have a new one now. Yeah, yeah the huge one with the... the, 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 you know, the uh, I think you're, I mean, you probably hated it while you're there, but you were lucky in that that was a university that integrated everything that we're talking about, New World Order. All that was, was, was planned, built in, not just designed from, what's his name, Sarah, not, uh, who's the guy that designed it? I don't remember his name. (sighs) Pereira, William Pereira. Pereira, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, He's the guy, and and it's the Irvine family, too, that donated that land so that they could, uh, reap the valuation they also build all these these homes around there they they made tons of money off of so that, right? so uci just came into the news uh, they made national news recently oh recently again yeah what uh happened? surveyed scientists debunk chemtrails conspiracy theory uh <laughs> UC, uci carnegie paper explains persistent aircraft trails substances in soil and water and uh they're saying yeah. the world's leading atmospheric scientists overwhelmingly denies the existence of a Who secret elite-driven plot. Uh, well, uh, looks like I don't know if it's going to say here. Well, look, a, Car- a Carnegie that. paper, so you got oh, there that. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, Car- Carnegie Institution of Science. You know, there was a guy at UC Irvine when I was there. His name was Sherwood uh, Rowland, oh, yeah, who uh, first uh, posited this notion that chlorophora uh, cor- carbons, right, CFCs, are creating a hole in the atmosphere, and he was laughed out of. Um, uh, the university almost and then later i think he won a, a nobel prize for his work mm. so um you know the sciences are heavily politicized yeah yeah and that was right? kind of my my next it's question heavily politicized and that's something that your oriental students in my classes don't want to hear because they were taught oh all i got to do is learn little uh algorithms and formula and and i'll be okay i'm gonna have a good job and mommy and daddy are gonna be so happy <laughs> But uh, yeah, this the uh, the future of things. Where do you see things projected to be going? Because what I see with a lot of these universities, especially in the sciences, and that's something that I've been tracking on my YouTube channel and stuff. But there seems to be a a rapid progression of quote unquote breakthroughs, right? That that you know mm-hmm. these discoveries and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another UCI thing that came out: physicists confirming that there's a possible discovery of a fifth force, you know, and then they've always mm-hmm. been on the cutting edge of, these, sure. you know, technologies and, and philosophy and stuff like that. But where do you see it going? Like, wh- what is the end game in terms of all this progress in science and technology? What are they trying to get out of announcing these things? Well, they're trying to pump up stocks because that's what the UC system is about. It's about pumping and dumping. They work for Wall Street. It's an extension of Wall Street. And Wall Street is an extension of skull and bones, right? It all comes back yeah. into the, the, the circle. Uh, don't look at the university so much as a, as an education institution. Look at it as a um, like a one-trick pony. You know, it's it's there to bring people into to to the show, to the free show. And uh, you get you might get a job out of it, and you might live long enough to to retire from it. I doubt it these days. Um, but it's, it's, um, and, and don't get me wrong. There's, there's some good that comes out of the university, but I'd say, I don't know. I don't want to put percentage on, but the majority of the research there is either bogus it's fabricated or it's inflated. Oof. Right. Yeah. Oof. And that's yeah, not it, me saying that. That's like, there's all there's retraction. There's a whole site called retractions. 
on science papers with some of the most prominent journals. I have ton, I have a whole catalog, wow. just UC Davis alone with, that, that I've been publicizing. They don't like that because I tell my Oriental students, I said, do you realize that, that, that within your field, there's so much corruption, you know, you're looking at gangbangers and, you know, the, the shoot 'em ups on, on the movies or on Netflix and the real criminals are the ones who are, who are doing all this pay for play research claiming right. that there's no camp trails. Yeah. They don't care. And you know what they do to the Oriental students? They say, they make them into research students. They make them do most of the work working 20 hours a day, and they're usually from Korea or China these days, right? And then they then they get their PhD out of it, if they're lucky, if they should keep their mouth shut. And then 10 years later, the, the it's found that the, the research can't be duplicated. In other words, it was a fraud. And so what do these people do? They blame their, their Oriental grad students for, for the mistakes of the research. That's a case study that was at UC Davis. And the wow. same woman is a Monsanto pro-GMO shill. Oh, right. She calls herself an environmental scientist. So when the uh, vice provost for, for, for faculty, who's supposed to represent me, her name is Maureen Stanton, told me, she says, Professor, I'm a, I'm a scientist. I need proof. I told her, and I shouldn't have, because um, um, that's when it all started to go south for me. But well, actually, I don't really care. But she said, I said, uh, Professor Stanton, you know as well as I do, especially in your field, that science is just fraught with fraud, complete fraud. And man, she right. made her so angry. Yeah, you know, <laughs> she's and still it, there though, but she she'll she'll have to leave after a while, right? Uh, because I'm yeah. I'm going in on her, man. I went in on Katehi, and I'm sure a lot of the stuff that I put out in public on Katehi uh, did not help her. Yeah, and, and I'm saying this because you're asking how these, <laughs> these discoveries and these breakthroughs are coming out right now because the UC system it has suffering from a crisis of public confidence that they brought upon themselves. Yeah, right. And one you know, of the crisis makers was this Oriental jerk that you're talking to right now, Professor <laughs> Daryl Y. Hamamoto. We're on to you, man. We're on to you, Doctor D. So, so now we're on to me. I gotta say, my world. I gotta say, it's very, it's very interesting to to hear from you, especially because you know we 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 speak to a certain amount of uh, academics and and uh, very intelligent people and people who are in the scholarly realm, um, and many of which have uh you know taught classes and things like that but i don't think we've had anybody from as deep in the academic realm at least as far as the uh the actual university system goes come out and and, and at least come out this strongly so it's uh it's you know it's nice to hear somebody from the inside coming in coming in coming in hot dr d coming in hot coming in hot and strong yes that's me Always, forever. I mean, as I said earlier, I work for the people of the state of California. And uh, for the, your older listeners, you know, if you, or in the future, you have children who, who attend the University of California, Davis, or wherever I'm teaching, they're going to, I'm going to give them 100%. I do that every time I step in the classroom. I do whatever research project I'm in. This is my obligation to you. It's my privilege to be an educator, to work at the esteemed University of California. All I'm interested is having the university live up to the standards that it itself proclaims. That's all. Very simple. 
There you go. So if you're a nickel and dimer little sleazebag sitting on boards and trying to feather your nest, the money isn't even that good, and you're giving your relatives jobs, right. I mean, that is so degrading. All your staff people know that. They, they're, they're talking about you. You know, the whole faculty knows it's just so unbecoming, so unseemly. And we as Americans have to learn propriety and shame and rectitude. Yeah, we've forgotten that. The 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 word nepotism has been ignored, it seems, in, in all kinds of circles. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I'm a big boy. I know a certain amount of corruption takes place. But it is so blatant now from the top down that Hillary Clinton, my gosh, the Clinton Foundation. Oh, yeah. It's There's, not about them raking all that money. It's about them just, just creating a, a really venal grasping political culture it's turning this into a a third world political culture that's what how the third world operates mm, well you know this has been really fascinating i gotta say this has been a really really fascinating uh, conversation with you dr Thank d you. and it's been I, my I, pleasure. I i totally appreciate it and we're coming up we got to wrap up here soon all right um, do you, uh, you, you got a website you got links you got what's your deal how can people find out more about what you're doing well, you can put your comments on the uh, the link that you have for this interview. There you and go. you can also check my Professor Hamamoto YouTube channel. I don't have a 111,000 uh, subscribers like you do. Guys. <laughs> well, Maybe one day I will. I don't know. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. Well, you can certainly get some advice from Gans. Um, oh. Okay. Well, sounds good. Facebook, well, so- too. Yeah, Facebook. Okay. Facebook. Professor Hamamoto. And we'll certainly put out the links for that sort of stuff. So, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was uh, really fascinating, and and you know, I it was I gotta say, it's been a while since we've had a had a episode like this, and I think it's going to be uh, interesting for the listeners as well. And you guys, like like we've heard many times on this interview, go to the comments, let uh let Doctor D know how you feel. And uh, ask him some questions, give him some uh, tips on what video games and what uh, uh, animations to watch so he can get on it and uh, showing all of us how to uh, present the NWO for students. Exactly. Thanks so much, gentlemen, for inviting me to be with you this evening. Yeah, I had a great time and I I learned as much as I blabbered on. (laughs) No, it's just always very instructive for me. It was great. Thank you so much. And we'll, uh, we'll have to get you back on when that book comes out. Absolutely. Anytime you like. All right. Thanks a lot, right. buddy. Good night, gentlemen. Okay. Night. Bye. So there you go, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. It, again, uh, it's just one of the most unique Canary Cry radio episodes, I think, in a couple of ways. Not even just the Asian way, huh? The ninja way. The secret way, the secret Asian way. You know, I've always, I've always thought, and I, I might have told you this uh, just in a private conversation at some point, mm-hmm. but I've always thought that if, if the world does come to an end, or, or you know, the apocalypse and something happens, I'm under the belief, uh, maybe not even a belief, the opinion, uh, hope, maybe the <laughs> better words, that I, that I will find a katana, and and when I do. And when and I and when I put it apocalyptic weapon. and when I put it in my hand, the D, my samurai DNA will activate, <laughs> and I will become a mighty warrior, a, a Gaborum. Yeah. Uh, in the end times, you hope to become a Gaborum. Good to know. <laughs> kind of like me, I'll find a 
That's I'll it. find a, a slice of smoked salmon and Viking horns will grow out of my head and then we'll both be revealed as the demonic shills that we are. That's exactly what I was thinking. This is not a good conversation that we should be having. Right now. <laughs> Anyways, okay, just number one, fodder, yeah, fodder number one, for the we're joking. Number okay, two, okay, everybody knows that. No, um, no, so, that's yeah, not so true. It's very, no, that's not true. Cons, can we please just do this ending? Guys, <laughs> <laughs> it's so late, man. <laughs> okay. It makes it better. It it makes it real good. We're a little bit delirious right now. It's a little, it's pretty late at night. So, delirium anyways. is the only way you can podcast. Okay, so thanks <laughs> for listening to this episode, everybody. Um, like I said, uh, you know, is a, a surprising, unique uh, interview, but very valuable considering the fact that you know he's deep inside of the university system and is is really shaking things up there. Um, and like I said, Doctor D is a funky guy. You know, one thing that I wish I asked him, and, you know, it's always hindsight. We look at interviews and we can uh-huh. assess, you know, where we could have done better, what questions we could have asked better, all that kind of stuff. Sure. One thing I would have liked to ask him was what his opinion of Satanism was in particular, because I don't think it's good. Well, it, oh, it, yeah, the- I get that. But like in terms of the solution, you know, because a lot of people will see the Satanism once their eyes are open to the blatant Satanism. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it's everywhere, which logically it's sort of like, well, if the whole satanic thing is real, then right. the other side is also real, right? The solution, the, you yeah. know, Jesus is yeah. real. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if um, Dr. Hamamoto has gone there, you know, philosophically or in his research, uh, but, you know, it's something to um, keep in mind as we uh, keep, keep in contact with go. folks like him who are deeply embedded in the uh, university system and fighting the good fight despite the fact that we may differ in our uh, spiritual perspectives yeah, uh, in terms of the you know battling the but i am interested Illuminati. to find out <laughs> i'm interested to find out uh his advice for sharing the nwo for students and i know a lot of you out there have sent us messages and emails and all sorts of things carrier pigeons asking us how to share it with your friends and uh you know i uh, we're on this new, new motor, new motivated kick, and we have some uh, some plans in the future. So, so just keep listening to that. To what? That. Keep that, listening. That, that to didn't me make any that. sense. Man, it's late. Okay, guys. <laughs> you went from like your All right, guys. To like, thank you so much for listening to Canary Cry Radio. Uh, go to YouTube. Uh, check out the Joy Spiracy Theory on YouTube. That's my uh, kind of new show here. It's a uh, it's a show all about uh, examining the lives of people who are awake to these fringe and uh, uh, fringe topics. <laughs> And examining how we can uh, stay joyful and happy and uh, keep our eyes on the lights and things like that. Your last and, episode and, and was to, really good. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, I appreciate that. Yes, our last, the last episode was um, with a, a great man named Mike Davis, and we talked yeah, all Mike about Davis. emotional intelligence and um, the Bible and Jesus and you know paying attention to what's going on inside of us and not ignoring things um, as far as, you know, 
what's going on in our heads. So go ahead and check that out. The joyspiracy uh, theory.com. Man, I'm having a hard time tonight. And uh, check it out on iTunes, the Joyspiracy Theory. Also, face like the sun. That's right. Take it away. That's my channel. Yeah, you're so great at marketing yourself. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> face like the sun, guns is awesome YouTube channel. Pretty much everybody here already knows about it. But if you have not done it, go to YouTube, search face like the sun. A lot of great videos. Dr. D loved it. He watched all the videos and, you know, it, hey, Dr. If he was I'm, try- I'm trying, I'm trying really hard to, um, provide something unique there you know yeah. not not just your your typical you know illuminati exposed stuff which there's nothing wrong with in terms of the overall message but i think because of sort of the the you know the the quick video to expose something the deeper nuances are missed and so it's almost uh, become an industry to just like get an exposed video as soon as possible yeah and it's and it's and it's an arms race who can get it, it out faster? You know? It is. And I'm very proud of you for taking the time to, to look at things from all sorts of different angles and, uh, you know, give some fresh perspective. And it's true that I do also feel the pressure sometimes yeah. to like put out a video like, oh, this happens. Put, and I don't act on it as much as I feel the urge to yeah, because you of you that. I don't want about it. Yeah, I know. I don't want to, to, to just make it about that you know not a, element. not a hype man not a hype so man there you go. but go i do check hype it out. myself it's great and <laughs> the quality <laughs> the quality is fantastic and okay. jesus mostly jesus though guys yes mostly jesus go to facebook like canary cry radio and uh the, 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 like the page and post your good stuff there um um what else I itunes think- iTunes. I haven't mentioned this in a while. If if everybody right now listening could go to iTunes uh, on your phone or on your computer or just on the website or something and leave a rating and a review for Canary Cry Radio. It actually helps us out a lot. The more people who uh, listen to the show and then rate it and review it, it actually puts us uh, in front of more people. And it shows other people like, hey, you'd probably like this Canary Cry Radio show. Check it out. And they're like... Oh, what's this? And they listen to it and they're like, mind blown. And then they get saved. Excellent. And uh, I think Basil needs some sleep. You need some sleep, buddy. I do. I'm losing it. So thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Canary Cry Radio. Make sure to tune in next time. But until you do, think outside the cage. That was a funny one. Think outside the cage.